on dispensers of pets, poking out at the cons, renaissance fests, watch animate chicks with inflatable breasts. You might be a trekking, <laughs> sit back and watch as the Uber geek goes and kicks it up a notch. Turn to the letter F in your dictionary and add this word to your vocabulary. Take a look, cause I'm the real McCoy. Damn it, Jim, I'm not a doctor, I'm just the definition of a fanboy, baby. Listen up, fanboy. It's the Fanboy Planet Podcast. And here he is. (laughs) And here he is. Your MC for the evening, this afternoon's Derek McCaw. <laughs> and tomorrow afternoon's Derek McCaw as well. However, I can't hear myself. I was deafened by Shop Boy there. Wow. The scream of the Shop Boy. And anyway, so uh, this is Derek McCaw, editor-in-chief of FanboyPlanet.com. We are doing a special Saturday podcast, Oscar preview podcast, because maybe... I think that's a good theme. <laughs> maybe Rick will get this up in 24 hours or less. Uh, anyway, uh, we are podcasting from Saturday at Elusive Comics and Games 2725 El Camino Real Suite 104 in Santa Clara, California. I swear in about two weeks we'll be back to a regular Wednesday night schedule. You swear? I only have two more weeks of rehearsal, and then the show opens, and, and then therefore you're just dropping this whole drama thing all together. Uh, right? No, I'm not saying that, but it's like you know, <laughs> we'll be back to regular schedule until the next time. But I'm, okay. I'm not doing any other shows for quite some time. Very good. So, um, I mean, I'm sure you're enjoying it, and I'm sure it's a fulfilling experience for you. But I'll be glad when it's over. <laughs> I know. My taking up all my time is so hard yes. on you. You are so selfish. <laughs> you are such. Uh, you're so American. Okay, so. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, this, uh, Of course, that is the voice of my fabulous podcast producer and uh, moral compass who's. Or immoral no, compass. Are you a moral compass right now? I am a little more than Mr. Potty Mouth there at the beginning. What? I said crap? Yeah. That's potty mouth? That's a little potty mouth. Okay. Anyway, uh, well, why don't you identify yourself? Rick Brett Snyder. Yay. We are missing Lon Lopez, of course, because it was... Uh, missing him terribly. We we do miss him. Uh, it He's was, out there lugging cones. It was uh, take your child to work day, and he had to figure out which one of his uh, children he needed to take responsibility for and take to work. So that's a that's a pretty big that's a, big task. And uh, so, like Lon, I hope... Genetic testing involved. Yeah. I hope you pick up one of those cones, and underneath the child, it says, Daddy. And, uh, <laughs> That's where they come from, under cones. <laughs> under cones. It's like the Cabbage Patch Kids. I think, wait a minute, we may have a toy line to, uh, excuse me. Uh, cone so, babies. I hope you're going to cut this down, <laughs> because we're going a long, long, just riffing. That's probably not really amusing to anyone else. No. And, uh, <laughs> and we're going to talk about comics. We're going to talk about some movies. We're going to talk about TV. And, of course, we're going to talk about the Oscars a little bit. In uh, almost what I would consider a sight unseen, uh, or the the Lon Lopez sight unseen review, and that many of the things that are up I haven't actually watched yet, but I have the next twenty four hours to do that, so I'm going to catch everything. Man, yeah, um, going to go to that Blue Light Cinema in uh, in the Oaks uh, in Cupertino, where a lot of those things are still playing. And Shop Boy's going to sit down with us. Hey, that's right, we've got the fabulous Shop Boy. Say hello, Shop Boy. Hello. In polite, measured tones. He has less facial hair this week. He does. Shopboy do. shaved. So you know what's well, you know what what's left is that silky, luxuriant hair, and now it's going to be even more confusing when I when I just catch a glimpse of him, that the wind, especially in March, as the wind tossles it. We have related follicle news. 
Do we? Yeah, our, our erstwhile wrestling reporter. Yes, I wish he was here. That's why I asked him to come. Chris yes. Garcia could not join us today because of a horrible beard accident. What? Go ahead. You tell the story Appar- because I keep giggling. Apparently, he was cooking. <laughs> oh, tell me he got caught on fire. <laughs> and caught his beard on fire. Yes! <laughs> and if you know Chris, this... <laughs> The the real tragedy. He had to so trim it to for- make it even, because <laughs> it of course didn't burn even. And he claims that his strength has been halved. <laughs> Nerd Samson. <laughs> so Chris, we we know you. <laughs> we really really hope you can get in soon that you'll recover from this. <laughs> Or at least take pictures. And this is how bad it was in my office yesterday when I saw the posting. <laughs> I, like, oh, I can't stop laughing at it, and it's horrible of me. I'm a horrible human being. But we ought to get on to to. Uh, Could we? I'm sorry. Oh, that beard. it's a pleasure to have Shop Boy here at the mic. That is a loss to the science fiction fandom community. However, it is. to have lost some of Chris's beard. Yeah. Uh, so. so many people won't recognize him now. Oh. <sighs> okay, I can breathe now. Uh, so first up, uh, just finished and in coming into trade payback. Let's start off with a little Marvel. Uh, just a little Marvel. Oh, I should mention, by the way, that they're bringing Thanos back. Did you care? Hmm. I like Thanos. I've always liked Thanos. But hasn't he died several times? Hasn't the god of yes. death died several that's, times? That's yep. his thing. That's his thing. <laughs> he loves that death. And the power gauntlet. No, mm. uh, the power gauntlet. He's he's soured on the power gauntlet pretty quick. Well, but, who wouldn't sour on the power yeah. gauntlet, really? Because yeah. you know, if if it doesn't fit, you must quit. So, <laughs> really, <laughs> I don't know. Thanos, <laughs> Thanos in front of a jury. No, see, it doesn't fit. It at doesn't all. fit. I can't get it in. It I doesn't go with my clothes. <laughs> it's just anyway. Uh, those, those are the big rocky hands oh. he's got, you know. But uh, an event that just finished up and it was, it was probably imminently coming to trade paperback is the the. I want to say it's based on an interesting concept that Marvel is having right now, which is if you didn't like the way we wrote something the first time. We'll try again. We're going to try again. And so there was the Spider-Man clone saga. Yes. In about 10 years, you get ready for the for the brand new day. What would have happened if <laughs> uh, that hadn't gone over? But anyway, um, yeah, so you read all so six I had, issues I of the held rewritten back clone until saga. the most recent issuance of the sixth issue. So let's put this in continuity context. Right. Because it doesn't, it doesn't encapsulate the whole of the Clone Saga because there's a first part of the Clone Saga where Ben Riley is created and it ends with Peter Parker throwing the what he thinks is the dead clone body down the smokestack into the incinerator. Right, and that fact, was way back in the 70s. That right. was an event uh, where uh, the, the, the jackal, jackal had cloned uh, Peter Parker. And there was even a what if. What if the clone had lived? Right. And so it's actually an ill-begotten uh, originally uh, what if folded into continuity. Now, now the thing about this book is and it explained in the preamble to the actual comic in the first, first issue is that the original clone saga got extended months after month when they really only expected to play out over a couple of weeks. Um, or, or a few couple issues, yeah. yeah let's say, you know, probably, probably issues. four right. issues. And that, in those times, the standard miniseries length too, or the trade paperback length, if you had one, was about four issues, right? But it went on and on, and you followed because they realized people were buying it. And Peter was convinced that he was the clone, 
and he went right. off. He left Ben Riley in New York to be Spider Man, and he went off, and he was the Scarlet Spider. I think that's the no, way went. no. Actually, the way? he went yeah. to retire. Uh, so this uh, Ben Riley started as the as the Scarlet Spider. They that's right. They sort of wrestled for the title of who has the spider powers in New York City, and ultimately Peter Parker changed his name to Ben Riley. And moved to Oregon to a right. research a scientific research facility with Mary Mary Jane, and right. they had retired. And so uh, the leaving Ben Riley to become Peter Parker, this, they switched identities basically, and uh, Peter Parker then became the clone, became Spider Man, and was swinging around in New York City. And we get very little of that actually. What happens here is well, because everybody hated that. I, I, what we ha- what we get here is it's post. The death, the supposed death of the clone, and Parker and Aunt May. It's it starts off with Aunt May being struck with an illnesses. Well, this also can. Illness. This also at this time is the first time Aunt May died, right? And she doesn't actually die in this one, right? She actually she, had a fatal heart attack in the in the original Clone Saga, right? And was we later thought. was later revealed to be an actress surgically altered to look like Aunt May, right? And this is this is also post uh, Parker's parents coming back uh, from the Soviet Union, right. but turning out to be robots. Uh, plot of the Chameleon and Harry Osborn from Beyond the Grave. What can we say? The '90s were a bad time. It was a confusing time. The only thing cool about it was the foil covers. <laughs> I'm gonna say that, and now. I'm gonna say that was not cool. No, they were confusing and expensive. Well, I didn't have to pay for mine. So okay, so. What I was like eight. Yeah, yeah. You were a small child. That people get, look shiny. Go when away. When you were eight, was your hair as silky and luxurious as it is now? Uh, when I was eight, I had a buzz cut because I was a competitive swimmer. Uh, so now, oh. in spite of the world, so you were totally it smooth. Shall feel my. Silky it was years rat. of chlorine treatment on his scalp that led to the hair he has today. Look at my gosh! It's it, it's magnificent. People really ought to come into a podcast just to see that hair. Anyway, so let's go on. Sorry, I get it's a dollar to touch it. Without, he's, he's without like going Rapunzel. Of the plot, to it. basically, and it, it revolves around Aunt May having been struck and ill. And, of course, this is not a natural thing. It's a, it's a villain's um, plot device to uh, manipulate Parker and bring Riley back, who apparently had gone off to live by himself and had kept in touch, oddly enough, with Aunt May, convincing her that he was a long-lost relative uh, and having phone calls with her every now and then. Which actually I would have been okay with had they yeah. actually done something like that. So when he came, he comes back, and first off the bat we find there there are a number of things that happen in this that I do not believe they would have let happen and let stand in the original comic. Okay. The biggest one of all, and I'm, this is a spoiler, so if you don't want to hear spoilers on this, it's not that big a deal because it happens in the second issue. In fact, it happens between the first and second issue that this is revealed, which is my biggest complaint. Mary Jane gets pregnant. Which she did. And she was in the original continuity. Did she lose the baby in the original continuity? We will never know. Oh. The implication was, yes, she had lost the baby. Uh-huh. But she hadn't really lost it. Norm- the implication has been that Norman Osborn kidnapped the baby and right. convinced and paid off all the hospital people to convince them that, uh, you which, know, which by the way, kind of happens. This so thing. instead, you know, Marvel, it, they let that stand. They never went back to that. Instead, they decided that they were going to have that infamous Gwen Stacy had hyperdeveloped twins yeah. fathered by Norman Osborn. 
Yeah, there was, there's a whole bunch of stuff. So, there. gee, really the stuff they did let stand, you're okay with? But <laughs> No, no. They, the baby comes determined and gets, inv- gets abducted, but then gets returned to Peter and Mary, Mary Jane. Then I would have been fine with it because you because what it was building up to was Spider Girl was sure yeah yeah and she's named May and yeah Mayday uh, Parker so uh, but my biggest complaint about this is they saying this is the way we would have written it but it's still it is not the way they would have written it because there's a lot of stuff that happens in a very compressed way and stuff that happens between issues well this is the story don't really what it is is the story they would have told I will grant you that to, trying to say it, that. They would have told it. They wouldn't have told it in six issues. They would have probably told it in twelve. And mm-hmm. by that, it's not that much different yeah. than the lengthy uh, Clone Saga. Because the Clone Saga was also playing out across three different Spider titles too at the same, sure. at the same time. And there was a time in the nineties too where everybody had their their less cool duplicate. So you had the Scarlet Spider who was like the homeless Spider Man. He mm-hmm. had the uh, blue hoodie, hoodie sweatshirt that was you know a little dirty. And uh, they give him a better costume. Oh, good. So you had that. You had Thunderstrike. You had uh, U.S. Agent. Uh, yeah, yeah, Thunder, yeah Thunderstrike. America's. And yeah, Thor's was Thunderstrike. And there was somebody else too, I think, that was uh, – um, you know, Hulk was like you know bulk. It was, no, <laughs> really? Uh, no. He was the fibrous. I was going to go with Beta Ray Bill. Uh, well, no. Beta Ray Bill is just cool. There's just no. Uh, well, he was still he was still a Thor knockoff. He's just cosmic Thor. But but yeah. but Beta Ray Bill actually came around in the 80s. That was uh, Walt Simonson's run. So that's different, okay. and, and and was never one that could sort of stand in. The reality uh, with like Thunderstrike, Thunderstrike actually had the hammer and was Thor for a while. Okay. While the real Thor, I don't know what he was doing. So my uh, filming a movie. The end judgment on this is that the the conceit of this is this is how the is that it was set up to me that these six issues are the story they would have told. I don't believe that. And, in fact, the fact that they compressed a lot of the stuff um, makes it not feel good to me. That said, it's an okay read. So, as, okay. as a trade, maybe you pick it up if you're really a Spider-Man fan and you're curious. You won't be that disappointed. Well, it's like that the Chris Claremont version. What do they call it? X-Men Forever? X-Men Forever. The continuity that if Chris Claremont had not left X-Men, this is where he would have gone with the story. Yeah, is you that- know, I heard somebody talking about this, the, uh, the Forever title a while ago. He's going, you know, the big difference between this is back when I was reading those original comics that Claremont was doing, I was always like trying to think ahead. What's he going to do next? What's he going to do next? I'm not doing that with this at all because it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. There's and no I, I have to agree. It's like, um, yeah, it's mildly this amusing is, when that, I'm reading That's it. why what-ifs to me are best as one-shots. Like if you had a what-if yeah. miniseries of playing it, I wouldn't care. Yeah, and It's the same reason that in a strange way I don't like reading – no longer do I like reading TV adaptation comic books unless they say specifically totally there. this is in canon. Right. Yep. While read Buffy Season 8 but did not read any of the – well, I we're gonna talk about picked Buffy. out of the library. Yeah, you know, picked out of the li- – well, why don't we just go right to it? Let's yeah, go Because – I did not read any of the Dark Horse stuff before that because I knew that it didn't count. Yeah, it didn't and happen. Angel didn't count. And that's why there's a Buffy controversy now. About. This week was revealed because of Angel's IDW series, which they believed was canon. And then Buffy's kind of maybe wiping that out. And it may not be wiped out. Yeah. I want to give a shout-out, by the way, to a friend of the podcast – Probably doesn't actually listen, but that's okay. David Tishman, who we interviewed a while back for his book Red Herring, is now uh, writing an Angel miniseries uh, for IDW. So, cool. uh, you know, he's a guy who's always got one foot in the in the kind of the TV adaptation stuff. And I have read his stuff and enjoyed it. He wrote uh, some of that Star Trek season four that IDW did, and uh, you know, 
So it's not it's not like those writers' fault. They do some really good stories. It's just that if it's a series that I'm really invested in, like I'll read a Star Trek comic, and I have no problem right. with that because Star Trek's such a mess continuity wise, right? Um, and always was. So well, I like the ones that don't try and fit in continuity, like the. Um New Frontier and and the one that you yeah had Gary Seven. But and I mean, the, but the I mean with the, but I mean with the original when you're dealing with the original crew, that right. you know you read the Gold Key comics and you grew up understanding that wow, wow. no one at Gold Key had ever actually watched Star Trek. Yeah, it's, <laughs> so, <laughs> they took the guys off of uh, they took the guys off of Space Family Robinson and said do Star Trek now. <laughs> you know, and because I can't remember, yeah, I is so anyway. Uh, <laughs> Let's talk. So Buffy, I, I don't even know which issue is, 34, 35 come out? First of all, Brad Meltzer, yeah. who um, – I think it's 33. Really good guy um, and a writer that has had some controversy because he's done things like Identity Crisis, which some people thought was a little over the top. I still like, like go back to Archer's Quest as being just, wow, just an awesome Green Arrow story. Yeah. I've loved, I loved Identity Crisis. His Justice League run I thought was 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 good – but it got tangled up too much in other continuities of other of other things of a larger picture, and I, I think maybe I have to go back and read that again because I didn't understand how much it was tangled up in what was what Jeff Johns was planning. By the way, I'm sorry, DC creative, a chief creative officer Jeff Johns was use planning. his title or he'll and come down here. CC, uh, oh, I would love oh. that. Uh, <laughs> so he'll be appearing at WonderCon. So maybe we yeah. could uh, just you know tackle him in the men's room. There you go. Anyway, no, no. That's no, how I got maybe in the line for food. That's actually I how could, I got an interview with I Howard Chaykin. Put on a dress and maybe lure him back here. Oh God, yeah. no, no. Mental picture. Maybe I know. <laughs> Not enough Brillo pants in the world to unscrub my eyes. Uh, anyway, or just scrub my eyes. Uh, anyway, so um, where was I? Oh, uh, Brad Meltzer uh, <laughs> is is now. Uh, well, this is the first time he's ventured outside of DC, other than his own actual suspense novels, which are great. Uh, and he's got something planned because I got an email from him, oddly enough, a couple weeks ago as- asking what address to send an invitation to. So I don't know if it means a new book is coming out and there'll be signings around, which he often does. He, uh-huh. When he comes into town, he does make sure that um, we get invited. Excellent. And uh, I think that's very, very kind of him. He's, and when we say we, yeah, I mean me. you. I mean yeah, me. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, you know. Someday I'll no. I like to keep my world separate. And then there you okay, go. Anyway, uh, all right. So, yeah, well, I just don't want to say like he's. It's not like he's a personal. If he saw me on the street, he would not know who I was. Okay, but he knows. Uh, he knows your name. He knows by email and so forth, and you know you we had go. some exchanges. And um, so yeah, so Buffy gained superpowers in what has been probably a, a sales resurgence, and really a resurgence creatively of this book is funny as heck again. Yeah. yeah. Which it is not necessarily a little bit, a little bit of a dry spell for a while. I mean, this was a very good book at the, I, out of the gate. It was an excellent book, and it never, it was never, it's never been less than good, right? I, but but sales had had slumped a bit, and now Brad Meltzer coming in, uh, and they'd done a reveal, which they now say was an accidental leak, but who knows? In which we knew the identity of the big bad that had been going through this whole season, uh, called Twilight, Twilight, which was a great in joke, uh, yeah. Not, really not even, even all that in. They, they even mention. They even talk about it in yeah. the, in the last, latest issue because he gets all sparkly. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, so uh, you know, it's revealed to be Angel. So you've read the issue. I've read the issue. Yes. We can talk about it now. Go yeah. Ahead. I mean, okay. First off, I want to get my biggest complaint about this book out of the way, and that is, uh, we've talked about the art style before, in that 
you're, there are often times when you know you're supposed to be shocked or awed or something because of the character that is saying something, but you really can't tell who it is. The faces, is, Yante, the yeah. fe- faces are not distinct enough. He does spend a lot of time on the full page reveal of Angel. It's very, it would be very hard not to know that was Angel. But there were a couple of times, even in this issue, when I someone was saying something like, "Who, who the hell?" Oh, oh, uh, that's yeah. So, so he has a bad case of same face. Yeah, very, very close. The other thing is that all his characters are drawn as if they were in junior high. This they appear young. To they you. they're younger than they were in the original series, looking and short, and you know not developed. And mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Uh, Sarah Miguel- Michelle Geller was a lot more developed than she's dr- being drawn. And Faith. I don't recall uh, that. But Faith, yes. Faith, uh, they're, they're just not playing um, the characters true artistically. But dialogue-wise, mm-hmm. spot on in this issue. Absolutely. The- Full of and, – and if you haven't been reading Buffy, it is also – again, she's gaining superpowers allegedly. You know, <clears throat> and One power at a time. One power at a time. And they give a couple different reasons for it. And Brad Meltzer said he's playing with the idea that basically Giles and Willow both um, have a lot of knowledge that that Buffy doesn't and that the rest of the group. And some of his belief here is like what if uh, Giles has withheld some knowledge and might be wrong about why he did it. Uh Uh-huh. And and so that's where this arc is kind of going. And you have this strong implication that – Despite the fact that they've been making life miserable for uh, the Slayers, Angel's group of people have all been for this reason, and I know you're going to get to it. Right. You know, have been for a reason that's supposed to be for the greater good. Right. Uh, you know, so it, it's it's interesting. But if you're a superhero fan and you're not reading the, this Buffy, you should just just for the sight of Andrew. The geek. <laughs> no, again, well, we, we should also Andrew, mention Andrew from the original <coughs> series, who was and, one of the the triad of geek wizards yeah, who took the, on Buffy and and caused, was sort of redeemed and become a junior uh, junior watcher. Yeah, uh, by the end of the series, uh, or at least at least was indicated to be that on Angel. But he ends up in the uh, the evil the evil HQ, which has been basically. Totally geeked out with all kinds of comic. Well, comic, first of all, because, working comic okay, because memorabilia. Twilight. Or Angel had given Warren, one of the other trio of Doom, uh, the, the, the geek trio uh, who had been skinned but is being kept alive by the magic, witch Amy, yeah. her magic, gave him the funding to build the geek out headquarters that he'd always wanted. So the transporter was a duplicate of the X-Men Teen Titans crossover device that uh, Darkseid built right. to bring Dark Phoenix back. <laughs> Uh, it's shown what? in a huge and, panel. And they teleport in. And he has to explain they this. They get teleported to... in and Andrew actually like has a nerd gasm and says, oh my God, it's the And he's explaining it to Faith and she says, say one more geek thing about this, I'm going to punch you. And he goes, well, I'm just explaining it. And she punches So him. then, yes, he goes out to defeat. He, he gathers weaponry to fight Twilight. Off screen. Off screen. And so he has uh, the Captain America shield. He's He's cobbled together a repulsor ray glove. Um, the Red Squadron helmet from Star, Star Wars. Wars. He's got a Punisher T-shirt on, a movie Punisher T-shirt. That was what was even better. And you were explaining the, uh, the utility belt. And he's wearing belt. a utility belt. And the nice detail is it's Batgirl's utility <laughs> belt, not Batman's. <laughs> so. Very nice. Very nice. It's a great, great image. But also, I mean, this kind of – I read that and I went, yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> if I was in Andrew's shoes, that's exactly the things I would find. Yeah. <laughs> so. It would have been nice if you had the Infinity Gauntlet, too. Oh, but he had, but he had to have the had, had, had had hand for the, the shield. shield. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, hopefully those things are all just sort of public domain enough. Nobody gets upset. It's a good It's a good reference to all those different possibly, things. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, because, and as I, I like about it because I know in this age of licensing, it, it, it bothers me to have a, care, a, a universe where I believe so much in, um, you know, I'm so invested in the characters and believing that stuff. And of course, if you're a geek in the Buffy verse, you read Marvel and DC because there's no reason why they sure. couldn't exist other yeah. than their own their other companies. At this point, it should be pointed out Derek is wearing a Batman sweatshirt and he's just been he's been caressing the bat symbol as he's been no, speaking. No, no, I've been I've been beating my chest. No, okay. I've not been doing that. Oh my god! <laughs> Thanks, so. both of you. When's Lon going to be back? <laughs> so. You've actually made me miss Lon right there. <laughs> So the, reveal, the the thing about the reveal for me and the fact that uh, Angel basically doesn't fight Buffy, she comes, she keeps on attacking him, but he doesn't really fight back. And instead, he's explaining his logic as to why he's been, why his organization's been after her and the rest of the Slayers for so long. And we get this explanation that it is, without going into detail, it is for the greater good. And I'm sitting there reading this, and I'm like, oh my God, Angel is Sinestro. Because that's exactly what Sinestro did in the Sinestro Wars. His explanation at the well, end. Well, and that's was, been that's what's been happening from Jeff Johns taking over Green Lantern from the from the moment he brought Hal Jordan back and started basically rewriting or re envisioning, shall we say, the continuity of the DC universe. The key thing has been that Sinestro has been working for what he sees as the greater good. Which isn't necessarily, and you and I will argue right. once it's all done. I think isn't necessarily. For his own glory, though he's not unhappy with the idea that that would be the side effect. Because he's always felt that he hasn't received the amount of glory that he should right, have. because he's the greatest Green Lantern of them all, and how Jordan is the one that everybody keeps calling the greatest Lantern and of them all. And he's just there by accident. Yeah. 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 So, hey, you know, so, yeah, it's – you're right. It's, it's, a, it's almost like an unfortunate parallel that – Oh, because I'm sure they came. I'm sure that Joss Whedon and Jeff and then Johns he starts glowing yellow. Didn't talk about that. <laughs> you know, they don't sit down. There's not like this great. Do um, you think there is this great like mastermind conference every year that no one's allowed to know about? Joss Whedon goes. Jeff Johns, Grant Morrison shows up just to provide the acid. It's like an Illuminati thing. Yeah, <laughs> there's an Illuminati of comics creators. I think so. Is Casada in on that? No, but Bendis is. Yeah, they don't invite the editors. That's true. It's probably cool. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, um, <laughs> I like to imagine that. Hmm, so which one is Namor? Bendis. Bendis. Bendis is Namor. Because <laughs> he's the one that works for Marvel exclusively. Yeah. Oh, John's now works for DC exclusively. But um, so. I almost made a joke about that being called Herogasm, like in The Boys. But no. Yeah. No. No. Yeah. Continue. You know, that has some controversy this week. And I think we've kind of finished with uh, Buffy. Buffy. Is in the wake of all the DC restructuring, one of the things that people are talking about is, and I'm going to leap a little bit ahead of our usual stuff because uh, it was Twittered this week or tweeted this week by some director that, uh, and I can't remember who, that he's looking at directing an adaptation of The Boys. And so they've been talking. There's just been this little, because we're bored, idle. Um, punditry in comics, people going, you know, this is this is that's got to hurt DC, uh, that because they had the boys and Dan DiDio oh. liked the boys and Paul Levitz, who has stepped down as publisher now, 
uh, Paul Levitz didn't like the boys, yeah. and that's why Dynamite Entertainment ended up with it, and it's become like their strongest seller. And yet, I, I kind of want to say, I want to tie it back to the comics industry to say, while yes, I can understand that perhaps as a company, Warner Brothers might say we had that and be a little upset, although they could certainly swoop in and still distribute it. But I, I think that you know. As much as people enjoy The Boys, and I enjoy reading it too, I, I do think it's a, it's a good book. Garth Ennis and Derek Robertson yeah. uh, for yes. for Dynamite. It's it, it's a good book. Now. However, I do think that a publisher and, and they, you know people rip on Paul Levitz for this. I think a company doesn't have an obligation to just publish the things they think will sell. They can still have taste, and they can still they can say this is not good for us. That this is not what we want to do. And right. I, I'm not going to rip on Paul Levitz because gee, a book sold really well that he let no. go. It you know, I, I don't I I do not think this is a, this, I I worry that it wouldn't be as good a book had that had it stayed at Wildstorm. Company owned it. Yeah, I, had it stayed at Wildstorm. I think, I think it would have. Yeah. Um, taking a different course. They would uh, not content have content-wise. I don't think it would be as graphic, per se, or maybe different storyline. Yeah, I mean, just it is such a raw storyline. Yeah, yeah. and in you fact, you can talk think, about the sexuality of well, it. Well, let's it's look just, at the po- let's look at then the positive of Paul Levitz's choice. There, you're right. He could have absolutely killed it. Yeah. He could have squashed Not it. Not Paul particularly, well, but, but definitely. But because he had distaste for it. There'd be somebody coming down from upstairs saying, uh... He, uh you know, he, he, and he could, they could have put all kinds of editorial... And things on it. Although I think it was creator owned all the time, but they can still. There are ways of making creators uncomfortable and changing creators' direction. And they could have killed the book and said, "No, you publish it through us." Head in your bed in the morning. We're not going to yeah, let you. you we're not going to let you to get away with it. Um, the fact that Paul Levitt said, "It's just not for us," yeah. is you know, yeah. I, I just there are publishers to say that all the time. Oh, yeah, and I wanted. I, I feel like now that Levitt's has stepped down, it's like everybody's and really the because they, they're going to make a movie about it. It's not like D, it's not like DC doesn't have enough things they can make movies out of, right? And the, and the truth of the matter too is, after Kick Ass, are you going to need something like that? Yeah, and, and that's the other thing we were going is like Kick Ass going to ruin the? Is this the death knell of the superhero movie? I'm like, no, it's just it's just one more vision. It's just another movie. It's just one. It's another vision. And when people talk about the death of westerns, no, westerns came back. Westerns still exist in different forms. Yeah. And people, you know, it's yeah. So uh, let's go to DC, or do you want to go to Dynamite Entertainment? Let's. I know, but I'm 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 making continuity connections oh, okay. here. If we just talk ah. about Dynamite Entertainment, let's talk about the Green Hornet. We're talking about movies, right? Um, the Green Hornet. Miniseries or maxi series, twelve issues. Is it going to be twelve? Twelve issues. And that's going to be the whole arc of the Kevin Smith of the Kevin Smith Nars. script yeah. screenplay. Yeah. So the first time in history that Kevin Smith will be completely on time, or if the book is delayed, it won't be his fault. So they swear because he's working off of a screenplay he already had written years ago for right. Miramax. Right. So um, you bought the first issue. I did. What did you think? I. Uh, it's uh, it sets up. A nice little introduction for people who haven't been aware of the character before, because you can see that Kevin Smith's going to modernize the character. So it starts off with the last. Which has to be. Well, I mean, yeah, it could be, but we'll talk about something else that didn't. Okay. Um, that one. Okay. So we start off with what, what turns out to be the last case of the of the Green Hornet, and he's basically it's the last 
the group of uh, mobsters he has to take down be- before his town is cleaned up. Interesting. And we have a lot of uh, – uh, there's a lot of visuals that tie it back to the, tele- the short-lived television show, including yes. the wall that opens and closes to mm-hmm. let the Black Beauty out uh, Black and the Beauty flipping of the Black the, uh, Beauty, yeah. the car over, and what, what he oh, – and the gas. And the gas. Well, the gas gun has always been yeah. like so, his weapon so what, from the very beginning. No, but Black Beauty is sucking up the gas. Oh, okay. Yeah. So the, what's different about this and delightful is the interplay between, uh, between the Green Hornet and Cato. Because Cato gets some great lines in. I'll, I'll interject when you're done. Oh, okay. Um, you, I, I can't remember. Then it's not really interjecting. Okay. I was right. Interject now because then right, it'll so, be an interjection. So you, you, there's I'm, a five-week course, the Lon Lopez School of Interjection. <laughs> Well, and in fact, let me say right now, it's I, all timing. I, I, I wasn't trying to make a transition, so go ahead. All right, so, <laughs> so I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of the series, and Kato's Bruce Lee is freaking awesome, right? And so on all the covers, Kato's got jugs. I'm just gonna throw that out there. So far, he's no carrying jugs a lot of he's carrying a lot of uh, so, water, water, yeah, on the head, yeah. Huh. So I'm. Wait, I believe you're leading to up to the him. fact that there's gonna be a female Kato down yes. the line. Yes, yes. And it has been leaked that gee, uh, there's going to be a death of a major character, Kato. Yeah. Uh, oh, okay. And, and but I'll say, and that's not the first time that's yeah. been done in comics. When now comics did that, that was actually they introduced the female Kato. Who was the uh, niece, I think, of the original K- or of the Bruce Lee Cato? Uh-huh. Because the Green Hornet that they were writing about now was actually the second or third. I think they were. I think they did almost what James Robinson did with mm-hmm. Starman. Was that somebody? One of two brothers tried to be the Green Hornet and uh-huh. got killed, and the well, other this one- series was only one son. Okay, and so what? What? What happens is, of course, uh, Britt Reed, publisher. Retires yes. from being the Green Horton. That's the end of that first. The first probably seven eighths of this book is about that that last case about and Britt, Reed. Britt coming home and telling his wife, "I'm all done with it now," and the town's fine. And then we cut forward some number of years, and he looks in on his sleeping son. That is the great way to do it. And then you cut forward, and you got the son now grown up, asleep. And his girlfriend's leaving him because he's got so much potential, but he's not doing anything with exactly. it. And um, that's basically the way the end of the, the the first story ends with with that revelation. And of course, then you've got Britt Reed uh, making a judgment about his son. I won't go into the actual mm-hmm. visuals there, but mm-hmm. uh, it's it's and, and I have to say. This was a book that I wasn't sure I was going to pick up because the character has never really – I mean, I've appreciated the fact that they've done a deep mythology on this, mm-hmm. tying the Green Hornet back to the Lone Ranger and all that. Because other. they can because of the first time in I don't know how many decades, both characters are being published by the same company. Although they didn't touch on that at all, this this issue. Yeah. So, well, they, may not have, if, they still know, may not have the legal right to do it. But, um, but uh, I, I have but to say. But they are actually being published by the same company for the first time in forever. Dialogue is good. Art is good. Plot is good. The lead up as far as if you want to start a first book about something that's going to change the mythology, uh, this was the way to start it off with the ending of the old mythology and the arc mm-hmm, to the new mm-hmm. one. So uh, this this book gets a thumbs up. I'm going to you – know, I'm Will I stay with it for the all twelve issues? I don't know. We'll have to see. Second and third books are going to be the ones that are going to tell for me. Well, sure. So yeah, you, know, you give it a three issues, and that's, yeah. that's fair. Three issues are out. 
Um, and I was going to say that the Dynamite, the interesting thing with the Now series was that actually the, I can't remember who owns the Green Hornet, what corporation owns the Green Hornet, but they insisted actually that Now restore Cato to being the Bruce Lee character. Hmm. And so despite the fact that the female Cato was like a fan favorite, she was, um, she had to leave the series. Yeah. Just like, you know, DC had the problem in Star Trek in the 80s when Peter David was writing stuff. And there was complaints that he was writing too many interesting characters that weren't the main crew. And they had to keep restoring the action, despite the fact that the DC comic actually predated and probably gave the idea, uh, well, maybe not, but to Gene Roddenberry about um, the Klingons having, you know, peace, wanting to pursue peace, which right. came up in, in The Next Generation. Right. The, the DC comic did that first. So, you know... Uh, so, Actually, it came up in one of the, one of the TOS movies, but that's fine. No, no, it did come up in the, one of the TOS movies, but it, was, uh, but after the DC comic had done it. Oh, okay. The, the Kittimer Accord? Is that what we're talking about here? Yeah. So, so uh, the one other thing about this is I'm seeing ads for a lot of Green Hornet miniseries and spinoffs, including one potentially set in the future, and I'm not as excited about Well, that. they're doing both things. There's a regular Green Hornet series, and then there's this, they got the chance to do this Kevin Smith right. thing based on, and you know, now that we say this, it's like, well, isn't this the summer we're supposed to see Seth Rogen actually play the Green Hornet? Yeah. Uh, so I, for, And suddenly that sort of disappeared. No one's talking about that film. I'm a little scared. I'm a little worried that, I'm just a little worried that as a a title that not everyone is familiar with. They'll be, they'll be jumping on because it's Kevin Smith, and then they'll be trying to read some of this other stuff. It, you can dilute a character really fast. So, mm-hmm. yeah. However, this was not, it, this is you know film based, and you know, uh, so I don't know if he uh, had a lot of um, input from studio uh, what his actual original mandate was. I believe that one thing for him personally was. To put action back in, because by his own admission, like he had a, wrote a draft of the Six Million Dollar Man script uh-huh. when they were developing that, and he, he admits that like he he was not ready to write an action script because he had things like the Six Million Dollar Man hides behind a rock, and you know he was finding all the ways to to write to his own strengths or weaknesses as a director and hide the things that he didn't feel uh-huh. comfortable enough directing, you know, so. Um, yeah, and by by uh, I have insider knowledge that script was apparently very terrible. Mm. So he was trying to kind of uh, perhaps redeem himself with this script. We'll see. You know, we'll see. I, be interesting to know. Uh, another movie tie-in book uh, from Image. So I'm going to jump around before we we do this really long uh, DC section. Is the Crazies? Last week came out these four issues. The film came out. Uh, Brett Eisner directed the son of Michael Eisner uh, or Brett Eisner. Uh, son of Michael Eisner, the former head of, of Disney. Uh, the Crazies, a uh, remake of George Romero film, kind of a government conspiracy horror thing, um, eco- ecological horror, not quite a zombie film. Uh, by all accounts, and I haven't had a chance good, to see good it. Good small town goes bad. Yeah, but I haven't had a chance to see it, but but everybody I know that has seen it said it was really, really good. Oh. So you know, maybe it's just not the right climate right now for a horror film. I, I don't know. But... Um, so, Image Comics uh, with American original—I don't know if I say publishing. It's um, <laughs> Top Cow. It's Top Cow, and no American original is this guy Jeff Katz formed this company. It was announced last summer, and he's he's doing these multimedia packaging deals, and I guess through Top Cow, which then becomes through Image, uh, doing comics associated with film properties, and this is 
Because you said this before, uh, Image has done this with Jennifer's body. Right. Uh, the great thing of actually not giving you a movie adaptation because you could see the movie. And yeah. here's my issue, you know, like I. You're just going to compare it to the movie. Why am I going to? We don't need movie adaptations. Hopefully, you're going to say the movie was better, but yeah. Well, you know, the thing is, you don't need movie adaptations anymore because right. now you can buy the DVD. Right. It used to be that. When movie adaptations it was a way to were a big deal in comics, it was a way to remember it. Yeah. And like novelizations, I don't, I don't know when the last time I wrote, read a movie novelization, because I'll just get the DVD. I can relive it, and it's shorter. Right. Uh, <laughs> but um, so this is a four issues, and they really weren't. Uh, I can't call it a miniseries because all four came out last week, right? Right. Yeah. It's a four um, issue drop. A four issue drop that each issue is written and drawn by a different team. Uh, of people that are somewhat associated with horror, uh, Mark Andreco, uh, in what I think is the strongest of the books, or uh, which is issue three, dealing with the mortician character in the crazies, Mark Andreco, who writes or wrote Manhunter for uh, DC, mm-hmm. and uh, had also done collaborated with Brian Michael Bendis way back when on the graphic novel Torso, uh, which is about Elliot Ness versus America's first alleged serial, alleged first serial killer. Um, and an artist named Vincent Spencer, who I, I'm not familiar with his work before, but it's you know it's kind of got that indie feel. It actually looks a lot like Torso. Um, uh, it's just filling in the backstory of, ma- of minor characters in the movie. I'm not sure how it all connects because I haven't so seen you have it. The pr- you have the movie premise, but you get introduced to different characters and different storylines that didn't get developed in the film. Like you may have walked into a door and they got attacked by somebody, some character that the sheriff knew. Yeah, and this is. What happened to that character? How did that? How did their descent go? Uh, the and the, I would say the second strongest is by a guy, uh, Joshua Hale Fialkov, uh, who uh, wrote probably I want to say a really great now kind of forgotten graphic novel series. Uh, it was a miniseries collection of graphic novel by Random House called Elks Run. Have you ever read Elks Run? No. Oh, you guys have got to seek this out. Um, and I don't know if it's in print. I know I found it at the library. Um, but it's a really great, great story about this town uh, that's basically Vietnam vets decide to drop out of society and do this survivalist thing. And they, they go behind this dam, basically, and create a town of Elks Run and where they're going to raise their kids. It's almost like the what's that the village Without oh, without oh, go, okay. without going back in time. Sorry if I spoiled the twist ending on that one, um, but uh, <laughs> but without without like trying without to trying to encapsulate. They're time. just saying their post Vietnam Americana experience. They're going to put in stasis, and then the kids, of course, are you know, and there can't be any corruptive influences from the outside world. And like you know, there's this truck driver who gives them food, you know, trucks in the supplies and stuff, and sneaks in like porn for the kids and things, so that they, you know there is an outside influence, but. Um, it's a really great story of a town kind of self-destructing, not for any supernatural reason, but just because the change has to happen. Uh, question about that. Are the children aware that there is an outside? Yes, okay. they right. are, because there's a truck that comes yeah, in yeah. and gives them supplies. And, but the guy's been, like, paid off to hide all this stuff. And they're also, like, forming a militia, and they're bringing in guns, and so they're armed to the teeth. Uh-huh. And they're all all the adult males of the community are vets. They're all really good at killing, and it ultimately, you know, it becomes this like the kids versus the adults, Ooh. you know, hunting each other down. Okay, and it's a really good, really good graphic that novel. Sounds great. Okay. Yeah, 
Um, so uh, Joshua has been you know, he he's been kind of kicking around for a while, uh, and he was at either Bacon or Silicon. I think was the one that was really the comics oriented. And More comics you may have yeah. met Joshua Joshua because of that year that it was all really horror oriented. Yes, he, Josh came in. Joshua came in. And we and he and I were on a panel that nobody attended. So Joshua and I just sat and oh, yeah. talked with each other uh, <laughs> for a long amount of time. And so I sought out, sought out that book, okay. and and I and I really enjoyed his story here, which is probably like I say, I liked the Mark Andreco story. I suspect that the biggest crowd pleaser would be this issue number four, which deals with three rednecks that are that are aware of the change in the town happening in the crazies, and trying to fight it, but also like not able to it. fight it because they're you know apparently in the film you know they're early on. Revealed to have been, and you know, so it gets the best really into from a source you wouldn't expect the 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 idea of what is the cha- what happens while you're aware of the change. Oh, okay, you know, and uh, so it, it's a, it's cool. a really good, and, and the first two aren't bad. I just I just had to pick that the ones that I really enjoyed. It's an the interesting. Most. I mean, I, it's really interesting. They drop four issues like this. Yeah, and I don't know how they sold for you. Did they? Um, I can check the numbers. Yeah. Well, you don't have to. I mean, I'm just curious. But, curious but, to I see. mean, if you've got this much material, why you don't just do it as a graphic novel? Because it's not like any of these, any single one of these is potentially going to compel you to buy one over another. No. And if you buy one next week, you're probably not going to get any of the other ones. So, Right, because they all hit on the same yeah. hand. So, it's, so it, you're, it, you're going out 12 bucks for four books. Uh, yeah, I think it is uh, two ninety nine a piece. Yeah, two ninety nine a piece of so twelve bucks, which they'll collect into a trade paperback certainly. Yeah. But why not just do that? Right I don't know because I don't know how well the Jennifer's Body trade paperback sold. No, because no. I mean, it was it was like kind of the same. Which is a graphic novel, yeah. it, you know. So, and I think Image published or IDW published that. So you learn from that. It's like maybe if it that didn't sell as well, but then Jennifer's Body was another movie where that was a really good movie that nobody went to see. Uh-huh. And I think the same thing is now happening because it crazies. sold itself as something that really wasn't quite right. what it was. Right. Yeah. But I think even I don't think there was a good way to sell Jennifer's Body. It was a largely misunderstood movie in a genre that, even though it's uh, girls apparently go in great numbers, um, it's uh, to horror films. It's a film about a subject that's kind of uncomfortable: is how mean actually girls are to each other, which is okay as a comedy. Right. And Jennifer's body was funny in places, but it was very deadly serious about some, uh, you know, about really the, the, you know, exaggerating the consequences of how mean friendships among girls can be. With a little supernatural influence. Yeah. Yeah. Especially with a little uh, supernatural influence. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, you know, every marketing thing like this is a reaction to something else. So if they did a trade paperback of that and it didn't sell well. Right. You know, then you got to see, well, if you do individual issues, and especially because it's an anthology, but, you know, people buy individual issues. They may not even realize they all four came out, right? So then they yeah. go back and they aren't there. Or worse than that for the publisher, one or two of them sell because of the covers. The rest don't. Right. So and this is half the, of it doesn't sell. And this is the problem with the direct – not a problem with the direct market because obviously we love coming to a comic book shop. We love being able to find our stuff here. Right. And we love hanging out. I mean that's one of the reasons we do the podcast, bringing that conversation to your home. But um, – if the casual person, like somebody who saw the crazies and really loved it, walked into a comic book shop and wasn't a comic book fan, but was a horror fan, right. they they might not even feel comfortable enough asking the shop, like you know, the, the clerk, hey, you know, what about what, this crazy what, thing? What about this crazy thing? And I should come back. You That's know? why they employ approachable, sexy people like myself. Like yourself? Why'd your yeah. get cut back? Hmm? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
because he spends too much time sitting talking with us. Oh, yes. Oh. What's next? Let's talk about some DC stuff. Okay. First Wave. Yes. I think you misunderstood something about First Wave. Batman. Oh, great! greatest bait and switch ever. Yeah. Batman's on the cover. (laughs) Not in the book at all. Not in the book at all. Right. I, he will be in the miniseries, though, eventually, I'm sure. But you know what? He's definitely a minor character. I could care less about Batman appearing in that book. I had to explain the book. To, uh, Justin saw the book on my desk, and he knows who Doc Savage is, and he knows who the spirit is because I bought him a collection of spirit stuff. And, of course, he knows Batman. And he's saying, what's this? They're all three in the same book? And I explain, well, it's back in the 30s where these characters – No, it's not. Well, I, I, that's what I started explaining. And then um, I hadn't read it yet. Yeah, and th- this is like an alternate quasi uh, Art Deco. It's, it's Earth fifty three. Yeah, and what I'd say is, did you ever read the Tim Truman? I think it was from Eclipse Comics. Tim Truman, the Spider. Yes, I did. And I think that it's doing, and it's probably because you were less than eight at the time. Shop Boy was shaking his silky mane in a in a negatory fashion. I read the Tr- Tim Truman Airboy too. Well, that was great. Yeah, that was great so that's why that's why I want to say it was from Eclipse because he had done Airboy for Eclipse, and I right. love that. And I have the mug uh, with with Skywolf and Valkyrie yeah. on it. Um, it cracked. Yeah, don't. Shopboy is derisively pushing an invisible pair of glasses up. I own my <laughs> Zorlachness. I was collecting comics before your father thought someday I'm going to have a have a he she for a son. Uh, so anyway. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, Tim Truman's approach was like to take to create a vision of our pr- modern day the way they were predicting it back in the pulps in the 30s. Right. So zeppelins were still a valid form of air travel and the More technology yeah. was yeah. And so that I think is what's going on with first wave this Earth 53. It's a modern day, but there are very clearly advances they haven't made. Sure. And I can't remember offhand what the reference was where I went, wait a minute, there's something really bizarre. I'm also almost even feeling like like World War II happened in the year 2000. <laughs> um, because it's, did, did you get that feeling with the, the first couple pages, the robot? Isn't I mean, isn't that like a classic yeah. not, Nazi, Nazi type, type uh, cyborg killer you know thing? So I, And the character that was talking about having been in the war isn't old enough. It's definitely a place out of time. It's it's yeah. not it's not grounded anywhere. And maybe I'm thinking too much because the fact of the matter was I had a great time reading this book. How did you feel about the spirit? I am not that hardcore a spirit fan. Okay. What I really liked about Rags Morales' art, uh-huh. I'll say up front, was I thought he did a great job of making the spirit look like so, Will Eisner. Okay. There were like a, Eisner's spirit. There were a lot of panels that I felt like – Not actually look like Will Eisner. No, not like – you're right. I'm sorry. Like Eisner's take. Yeah. That he kind of laid back on his own penciling and inking. Right. And tried to make the spirit look somewhat like it both fit the look of the book but, but still some would – Eisner-esque aspects But too. still could have fit in – had Eisner done the story. Yeah. And so I really, I really dug that, and I've, I, I like Rags Morales a lot. He's, uh, he's not, he's a very distinctive art style, but um, he's one, one guy of many, I'm sure. But you know, you can tell he works really hard on character design, and he works really hard on layout, and um, and a lot of thought goes into it, and very cinematic. Uh, so I, I, I really dug the art. Uh, as for the writing of it. 
It was not the Commissioner Dolan. That was that my I biggest know, problem. And that's, but I think that's the Azarello thing. Azarello know outspokenly that yes. the spirit was Denny Colt. Yes. Okay. Yes. Did he re- did he call him Denny? Uh, I don't know about that. Okay. I haven't read enough of the original stories to really know that much. I, I, know, I read a lot. I don't. I don't think he actually ever referred to him as anything other than the spirit. I think they just called him the spirit because yeah. he wouldn't want to slip up and let anybody know that Denny Colt was still alive. Right. But there's also an implication, I think, that the origin, as they're going to talk about it on this earth, is a little different. He said he was dead for a week, and then he was awake. Right. And so, so there's some tweaking with it to make it all kind of fit more of a pulpy sensibility instead uh-huh. of a comic book sensibility, sure. if that makes sense. Sure. Um, I think the biggest thing that I absolutely love, even though it, it wasn't picked up, uh, you know, it wasn't named, is to realize that this book starts – not with Doc Savage, not with the Spirit, not with Batman, right? But Rima the Bird Girl, who had two issues <laughs> in DC, and is uh, can you name? And this is a big trivia. Who played Rima on film? Oh, that's right. There was a movie, wasn't there? Now I can't. Yeah, it's. This was back when DC had all the uh, South American artists come over. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. But the movie was like in the 50s because the no- original novel is Green Mansions with Rima the Bird Girl. But And okay. uh, and I, I have to look it up because as I said it, I'm like, I was going to say a name and I'm not sure that it's – but it would be a name to surprise you to realize it's not someone you would associate, nor I think would you associate Rima until DC got it. Uh-huh. With kind of the hero thing, I don't think Green. I think Green Mansion is more a, a romance with a primitive girl. Okay, you know, than than like a female. She's not really a female Tarzan until DC got a hold of her. But so it's an interesting. I, I want to say it's Audrey Hepburn, and I'm not. But I, I'm not we'll sure. Have to look right. that up. It's well. Oh, Shop Boy's going to do this. He's got a. He's got an iMac there. Trusty. Boom, 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 boom. Where's your little device that usually? It's in my pocket. No, keep it in your pocket. I the one. Ah. ah, there we go. I was right. Okay. Mark, Mark comes by with the trivia. We have customer Mark. Begar. <laughs> so, uh, who came by and said there were three film versions of Green Mansions, and Audrey Hepburn was Rima in one. Excellent. So, Excellent. There we go. And that's why we're here. But I absolutely in love that this book opens with making the key character, even though no For one else issue. seems to realize it. Well, because the key, the key character of the, the conspiracy plot, whatever's right. going on, is going to be Rima. Okay. Like, what the heck? Yeah. Rima? Yeah. That's awesome. Right. Two issues. So anyway, go ahead. I, 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 <laughs> did you – I had a little a little trouble with the picking up the bags of sand and figuring out they were actually bags of gold. Okay. a bag of gold weigh a heck of a lot more than a bag of sand. Not if it dust? Was it really no, just gold even dust, dust weigh more dust, than sand? I, mean, I don't yeah, know. It's, it's, it's I mean, because isn't that the uh, – no, never mind. I'm not – I was suddenly having a vision of Indiana Jones swapping the bag for the yeah. idol. I was like, oh, that was the sand. idol. That wasn't yeah. gold. Um, yeah. So, man, uh, minor, minor point. Uh, it was a beautiful book. It was a, it was a beautiful book. I love the fact that they were um, – they didn't dwell on a lot of the detail, like the, the whole thing about the fact that Doc was off in the Fortress of Solitude was a throw-off line. You would pick it up or not, depending on if you knew the character. Well, he's it. updated the origin, yeah, yeah. basically. It's no longer the Crimson Death. They killed his father, and it's a different, um, it's clearly a different conspiracy than the original Man of Bronze story was. Right. But 
I was like, okay, you're going to retell it because you've got to retell it for new people, and you're going to—it's a new Earth with a new idea of who's who knows each other. Yeah. Again, Beth drags Morales's art, and the thing that bugged me years and years ago about the DC's previous attempt with Doc Savage is that the Amazing Five did not, to me, look in any way, shape, or form like the Amazing Five, and this this Rags Morales. That's my. I can buy that monk. Uh-huh. I can buy that ham. I can buy that Rennie. Mm-hmm. They haven't shown Johnny yet, but they showed Long John really briefly. And I was like, I can buy that Long John. Yeah. And you know, the only person that's done it better was Dave Stevens in the Rocketeer, and you only saw Monk and Ham. But yeah. but he made though that was Monk and Ham. You know, to me, I don't know. I always loved the uh, James Bama drawings on the back of every. Issue. I did too. I mean, uh, you know, and, and, those for long but time. but I don't think Bama got. He got the, the shape of – and this is really arcane – but he got the shape, shape of, of Monk, Monk right, right. But the way that it was described in the novels wasn't there. Uh-huh. You know? And, and, and I, you know, I have a thing with the ham too. It, it is, uh, the mustache makes sense. The little pencil-thin mustache in Bama didn't do that. Although, grant you – I'll grant you that certainly for years I always saw that ham. That it's on the back of the cover, uh-huh. uh, you know, uh, of the of the Obama covers that was going, yeah, that's it, you know. Yeah. But I like the he uh, Morales did do a good transition. I mean, he drew he drew a beautiful Doc Savage uh, interior, the skyscraper stuff. Those mm-hmm. were great shots, and then and then he's down in the spirit shed, and that's entirely believable too. It was a, uh, the the art uh, the scope of the art is great. I can't wait to see what he does with Batman. I can't wait to see because there's not one other character coming. Uh, the, the Avenger. Avenger, yeah, yeah. So we're going to see Justice Incorporated, and I can hardly wait to see that. Now, there's also, I think, they're going to have a version of Black Canary in there as well. But yeah. I—that's uh, a lot to jam into six issues. Yeah. Well, you know, the thing is, ultimately, like I think we're only a month or two away from the actual Doc Savage series uh-huh. and the relaunch of the Spirit as well. So, you know, I, I have a feeling those characters might just sort of fade away as the. You know, they it, do appearances, yeah. Yeah, as they'll do more appearances. And I, I'm excited for the Doc Savage book. My only disappointment there is, of course, I'm, I'm not the biggest Howard Porter fan, though I think that Howard Porter has changed his art style uh, when he did the Trials of Shazam, and I think I could probably enjoy that more than I did the Howard Porter who drew the JLA books. We'll so, have to see. Yeah. Then Cry for Justice. You're on your own here. Cry for crap. Um, so, horrible. I'm sorry, and I love James Robinson. And I still have to go, like, where was the editorial oversight? What the hell was going on? The actual revelation, and again, part of it was continuity, or when they released books, that once you got to James Robinson's ongoing Justice League, which has already started, and you knew what had happened to some characters as a result of Cry for Justice, there there really is no reason to read Cry for Justice. Like, the actual the damage done to Plastic Man is so offhand, uh-huh. and even in issue seven, there's no actual reference to. Oh, by the way, he's now ruined. Um, it, it's it's terrible. Um, I think it's horribly paced. Like they suddenly had to wrap it up. The whole the whole point of this is to bring back Prometheus and make Prometheus a major dangerous player in the DC universe, and then they undercut that too, with no explanation whatsoever. Just a denouement that is – I don't want to spoil it. It's just like It's just like, how the heck did that happen? Explain to me – oh, no, you're not going to. We're out of pages. What <laughs> – <laughs> you know, why did you do that? 
what was the point of this if you're only going to take him off the off the playing field again? And uh, so, but they do the horrible thing, and I think this is because, and you can correct me if 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 I'm wrong or if you think I'm wrong, but comic book writers, once they have children, would never, should never write the death of a small child as a major continuity change. Ooh, okay. Yeah. And I'm trying to think of the of the times because other characters have died. Um because it's clearly I I feel really weird about getting outraged because I realized that it was very grotesque and frightening in the t- black blackest night titans when you realized Those Donna Troy's baby, baby came back and realized yeah that's right he was killed in a car accident and it was horrible and it was so offhand and I hated it then. Yeah. And then they do it again. So Prometheus has this weird plan which is like so totally DC cosmic. And I guess part of the problem is James Robinson is writing this off in a corner while, I'm sorry, Blackest Night is going on. That's taking all our attention. And they say, and, and in between two pages in, in the, near the end of issue seven, Blackest Night happens. And <laughs> so, like, the last three pages happen after Blackest Night and everything else has happened before. But um, he's kidnapped. I mean, it's, it's just horrific. He's kidnapped Freddie Freeman. Wired his mouth shut so he can't say Shazam. He's sewn it shut with wire and tied him up and left him up so he could replace Freddie Freeman. And it, it's like I'm I've, I'm I'm holding myself to facial reaction here. It's like yeah, it's it's, it's gross. It's, it's it's gross. So that so that the 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 dramatic question: Can Freddie Freeman say Shazam? And with a lightning strike, if he says the same, and and it's a horrible plotting thing in that Prometheus can come up with defenses against Freddy against Captain Marvel magic. He can he can defend against the Red Tornado's power. He can defend against Supergirl strength. He can defend against Green Arrow, Green Lantern, disrupt the willpower, disrupt Plastic Man. What hero is the wild card? Superman. Hawkman. Hawkman. Because Hawkman goes into a battle rage that no one can predict what he's going to do next. Do you buy that? Uh, I would have said I buy that almost as much as I buy Michael Shanks playing Hawkman. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, and then the other, uh, his plot was really cool. The the Prometheus' plan was to, he had planted bombs around the world in various important fictional cities. Which is odd to say. Important fictional <laughs> cities in the DC universe. Wonderland. And once the bombs go- went off, they were going to um, transport the cities into different eras of time and space, to different dimensions that basically would disconnect them and then the heroes would lose their home bases, basically, and have to deal with the guilt of having lost all the populations. You know, it was like Coast, Coast City, City all, all over, over again, again yeah. which made Hal Jordan going com- go completely nuts. I'm not going to yeah. let it happen again. I'm not going to let it happen again. I mean, right? Wouldn't wouldn't that okay make them feel really guilty, but get them super pissed off too, so they just eviscerate him? Yeah. Well, but Prometheus has always been able to be one step ahead, so he's going to just you know they they can't eviscerate him except for they can, and <laughs> so I hope I'm not spoiling. The crappiest book of the year um, by one of the writers I love above all others because James Robinson's Starman is such an incredible series, and his work on Superman has been so enjoyable. And I just don't know what's and even the regular Justice League book I'm enjoying. I don't know what 
was wrong Derek, with this. Derek, I feel your pain. Yes. We should move on. Okay. Because the next book you got on your list is Planetary. And a joy. And it's a joy. Thank you. I just want to mention, people, that there's a hardback edition of He's Volume holding in his hands right now. That's why of, his voice got a little quavery. Of Warren Ellis and John Cassidy's Planetary. One of the best books of the decade because it took almost a decade between issues to uh, finish. Yeah, uh, one of the best books of two decades, I guess. Then we should say it's and 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 several universes and several universes. This is. Uh, I just want to point it out. I you know that's all I can say is I want people to be aware it's out there. You need to pick this up. You need to pick up one, two, three, and then of course, as Rick pointed out to me, he's taking the plunge now. Which book did you say you bought an absolute before? The only other absolute I've bought before was Crisis on Infinite Earths. Okay, and I've never bought any absolutes. Yeah. Uh, I've wanted to, but I've never done it. But apparently on Amazon, you already have the link they, at 75 bucks a pop or 100 bucks a pop. I don't remember how much. I'm trying not to. Well, Amazon it. discounts, but you know, yeah. still. But they, you can pre-order. So right two now. editions. Volume 1 and Volume 2 of, of the Absolute, absolute Planetary. planetary. Okay. Which uh, will, I mean, there are actually five volumes, you remember. Oh, we weren't even in Volume 5. Well, we had to no, wait no. to collect. There are five. This Four finishes the plot line. Okay. But you also have uh, the crossover books. Right. The Justice League Justice planetary, League. Cro- planetary right, crossover. Which is called uh, Cross Worlds. Well, or, no, no, no. That, that's already out in trade, though. In, in yeah, yeah, right, yeah, yeah. Right. Right. What we're saying is if you buy if, the absolutes, oh, or okay. these trade right, paperbacks right. don't collect. Or if, yeah. But if you're or, looking yeah. to collect planetary, you want Volumes 1 through 4, and then you want the special edition that has the uh, the crossovers with Batman. The Batman one's fabulous because it's fantastic. Uh, and then the the uh, Superman, Wonder Woman, Batman. Yeah. And, um, Would you say Planetary for those not knowing is a series that basically deconstructs and explores all the different kind of mytholo- mythologies that uh, that American comics have right. or American popular culture because it goes into Hong Kong cinema. Goes it, into pulp. It goes in the Marvel Universe. It goes in the Pulp Fiction. It goes in definitely to DC. And then my favorite thing about the Batman crossover is, is uh, all the versions. There's all the versions. There's like this that Batman stumbles into this into this wormhole or something. This dimensional rift that keeps replacing him with other versions of Batman. The TV Batman down to Adam West. Adam West has like two pages in there, and it's. Awesome. So, so this is Batman quantum leaping into Batman over and over. Yes, yes. He's Want. in the same place, but there's like Want. this like this bubble keeps changing <sighs> Gotham City around him, and Planetary is investigating to stop it. So, so when he gets shoved into Adam West Batman, is he doing the bat tusi? He he has the typical bat Adam West pose. Does he have the bat Batman. brows? Yes. Yes. Oh. yes. Yes. It's awesome. Yeah. It's awesome. So he's got the kind of look to him. So yeah. if I had. Extra money to drop this week. I would say this is the book to pick up as an extra, you know. Uh, but on the other hand, then you've got the absolutes. So really, um, I'm just putting it out there now. I would like those absolutes for Christmas. Um, not going <laughs> to get all he wants folks. because no one who actually gives me gifts that has that much money to drop uh, is uh, you know is listening. But uh, yeah, there's no so, one that has that much money to drop. Uh, so let's go into into oh. I, I, just a, a regular book that I wanted to uh, – a book with no pictures. I got this anthology in the ma- Magic Mailbox called The New Dead and I was mocked on the uh, uh, backstage at Dead Man Walking where 
Wait, if you're afraid of zombies, as you guys have all pointed out, if you're afraid of zombies. And Derek is very afraid of zombies. Why do you keep reading and seeing zombie because stories? Because Derek is trying to assemble the knowledge know he will need enemy. to deal Absolutely. with the zombies. Know right. thine enemy. And oddly enough, I still have not actually read the seminal zom- great zombie defense novel, World War Z, which I need to, I need to read. read no, I haven't read well, it Well, you yet. can wait for the movie. No, I can't. Okay. Uh, it's just, you know. Uh, and as I said before, the, the audiobook version of that is, is very – after you've read the book. Yes. Because the audiobook version is, is somewhat called down, but it's read by some of the greatest actors. Well, know. I'll tell you, the thing with World War Z is like at, at school we had this uh, book fair for Christmas, you know, thing in the library. Kepler's book set it up. And they allowed the teachers to create a list so that kids could buy things for their, uh-huh. for their teachers. Uh-huh. Um, intriguingly enough, <laughs> on the books I asked for, um, the R. Crumb Book of Genesis was not allowed to be sold at, at school, at a Catholic school. You would think that, uh, you yeah. know, uh, no. Uh, They're kind of behind that whole thing. Uh, do you think? And, uh, and, and World War Z didn't, no, I think World War Z did show, but nobody bought that for me. So, uh-huh. um, you know, it was on my list, but, uh, when, uh. It didn't happen. It'll, yeah. it'll get around. Yeah. But The New Dead is, a, is an anthology of short stories with the topic of of the living dead. And um, some are kind of straightforward zombie stories and some really taken in directions you wouldn't think. So it's a prose book? It's a prose book. Short with illustrations? No illustrations. No illustrations. None. Okay. So, so I'm running out sure to where is to it put it. Is it by that company that permuted press? St. Martin's Press. Oh, St. Martin's I believe Martin's it was. Yeah. Um, so it includes um, – Max Brooks does a little story set in the World War Z universe, if you will. So there's a little short story there about about survivor's guilt, uh, which is kind of cool. I wish I'd read World War Z to maybe – I don't know if it would have tied things a little Hmm. firmer for me. Um, A guy named Jonathan Mayberry, who I talked about last year. He wrote this suspense novel or this action novel called Patient Zero. Right. Uh, And created this this cop named Joe Ledger who is in charge of – uh, who are not in charge of who joins this super secret government agency that's designed to stop scientific menaces. And Patient Zero was about Middle East terrorists who were figuring out how to genetically engineer basically a zombie plague. Right. I've killed this guy three times today. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, did you read it? Did you end up I've got it at home. I've oh, good. It. It, it's really good. Uh, it's really good. And he's got a new one out uh, coming out this month called uh, The Dragon Factory. So the second Joe Ledger hmm. novel is is coming out. And, and I'd say Jonathan Mayberry writes action – I don't want to say better than anyone I've ever read, but certainly it's – he's got a sense – when he writes an action sequence, it, it's like I'm watching it on film. He really knows how to put it together. Right. Um, and he's got a short story in here that I expected. I said, oh, Jonathan Mayberry's – and he's written one of the Marvel Zombies sequel books and stuff. And so I thought, oh, Jonathan Mayberry's got this story in here. Okay, it's going to be this really bloody, gross thing. And instead, it's really elegiac and sad and totally opposite what I thought I was going to get after oh. reading his work elsewhere. And uh, Joe R. Lansdale writes a story that never actually deals with zombies. It's just about what it is to kind of you know live with guilt and now that makes you the living dead. And then Joe Hill. Is that right? Stephen King's Stephen son? Stephen King's son, yeah. Ends it up with a story written completely in tweets. Sweet. That is that haunted me. Wow. I really? was so terrified. It, was it is just, the new haiku. Uh, okay, it is really it is really scary, and I was not prepared for how 
really, really Were these scary. Tweets that he actually issued? No, no, no. It's it's called um, Twitters from the. I, I want to say it's Twitters from the from the grave from the circus of the dead. Okay. Oh. And it's about a family vacation that goes horribly wrong, and the t- and the tweets are from this girl in the back of the station wagon. Okay, and it is so scary, and it's like, damn it, it you know, like like tweets can be a legitimate art form right now because he if he had tweeted that that would have been awesome. So it's called the New Dead. Who's the editor? The New Dead. I, I don't know who the editor is. I'm sorry, okay. I don't have the book with me. I'm going to write up a, a, write write a piece up on, on it this week because because I've had it. Like sitting there okay. going, I've got to write this because I really want to talk about it. It was a great, great book. I'm intrigued. Yes. So let's talk about movies, shall what? we? So we're talking a lot. There's today. some movies came out this week. Well, some. Yeah. I only saw one. Yeah. I saw Alice in Wonderland. And Shang Chi gives it seven out of ten. I think that's fair. I would veer between six and seven. All right. Maybe a little lower than Shang Chi because I've seen a lot more than he has. Although. Granted, he's been raised right, and so he's probably seen a lot of really seminal stuff. We've probably seen a lot. The same thing, despite his being less than half my age. Um, I was a little underwhelmed by it. Okay. Um, I thought that it owes a lot to both The Looking Glass Wars and uh, American McGee's Alice. Sure, the video games and and, both, and, both, and I'm not sure if that's fair to both Wonderland associated. Uh, both, yeah, I'm not sure that that's fair to lay on uh, the Burton. Linda Wolverton who wrote the screenplay. Ah. If she was really directly influenced, or if it's just one of those things where maybe some of these ideas are obvious. But what I w- um, I was very excited to have kind of Tim Burton's kind of crazy version on Wonderland and what was missing from this film was wonder. Okay. And almost literally because it turns out that it's not actually called Wonderland, it's Underland. That's what I read, yeah. And I really was bothered by that because then it's just everybody's like saying there's it's not a lot of fun. And Johnny Depp's Mad Hatter, they try to make um they try to give reasons for his insanity. Bipolar or something. Uh, well, he's got a split personality. There's a, there's no question. He goes from being kind of talking with this strange lisp and, oh, Alison, oh, oh, to this really strange Scots voice when he gets really angry. And, and, and it, it's just um, – and there's no explanation for that when you understand that there's still no logic to Underland. Even if it's, it's like, well, why not just call it Wonderland? Why, you know, it's obviously yeah. the same place. And she and they make it very clear in a flashback that she had all those original adventures close to how we often see it. And at first I was really impressed with like, oh, they're trying to create this life, this normal British life around the fictional Alice. Like her father's name was Charles, and so I thought, wait, are they you know messing with the Dodson. Charles Woodbridge Dodson? It was just it was just an acknowledgement, and the message of it clearly is this: you know, have the courage to dream and imagine. And then you've got this movie where you go to Underland, and it's actually kind of redactive, uh, reductive of some of the imagination, huh. and showing me backstory for the Mad Hatter. Backstory has become to me almost like the enemy of. Of okay. fun storytelling. Right, right, right. Because we're so busy actually showing it, it's right. not enough to just Let say. Let me imagine it. You know, you hint at it, don't show me. Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, you know, I think back to this. Uh, uh, 
like the man with no name, Clint Eastwood's you know, character in all those spaghetti westerns was like, you know, why does he behave as he does? Because I knew somebody once that somebody did something too. You know, I mean, yeah. it's really. I don't need to know. You don't that. need to know that. If you think about, uh, I'll give you one right off the bat: Wolverine. Right? Yeah. Oh, it went for ruined by back hundreds of hundreds of issues where his origins a mystery. Nobody really knows. There's a little clue. Oh, it's not really a really clue. And then they finally tell the story and they ruin it. So, and I'm going to blame my profession, English teachers. Ah, um, because for years, we, for well over a decade, we've been trying to read, teach kids to read by saying. Uh, by having them be active readers and say, what do you what? think happened before? What why, do you think happened next? Why like this? Yeah. Instead of the way fiction worked for thousands of years is because he just is. Yeah. And now we're like, because we're trying to, you know, inspire creativity and understand that. And I, and I, and, and I don't even, I'm not objecting to the idea of a sequel. It's just... Give me some fun. Give me some wonder to Wonderland. And instead, it's all like, you know, it's almost predictable in the, oh, she grew up, so she's lost touch with her childhood. Except the truth of the matter is that her childhood memory of it was so much better than it actually apparently is uh, and apparently was. Not the potential that it could have changed in the last few years? Or... They don't even really explain that. No. Apparently, she le- she left, and somehow that meant the Red Queen was going to take over. And there's and yet there's all these little ideas in the in the margins that r- are really cool. Like they have this book of prophecy. No, t- they don't, they don't have days like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Everything is no day ever repeats. There's no cycle. It's all linear. It's all linear. All time is you know so. And they use the the Jabberwocky poem to be like this framing uh, kind of like a skeleton to hang it on. So they're looking for they're waiting for on Frabjus Day, Alice will kill the Jabberwocky, okay, who is the biggest weapon in the Red Queen's arsenal. So the Red Queen has this you know, and it's just like, and then it'll just kind of lay there for long periods of time as they get. They're not even getting caught up in any fun. It's like you know the Mad Hatter gets a chance to be the Hatter to the Red Queen. So. He forgets about himself for a while and enjoys making hats again, and it's not really, yeah, it's not really interesting. Other than Johnny Depp gets to be a little goofy, but you know, so, uh, but you know, so it was, uh, it was just kind of, um, you know, it was there. It was fun. Visuals enough. Visuals were great. Did you see it in the IMAX 3D? I did not see it in the IMAX 3D. I saw it in the real 3D process, and this confuses me too. There are three different 3D options. Yes. IMAX 3D, which is in most places likely to be the FIMAX, fake IMAX. Right, right. IMAX 3D, real 3D, and then Disney 3D. Ooh. Okay. So I saw it in real 3D. Actually, Mario and I saw it. I should say we had – Mario and I had a little date night. It was nice to catch up with him. Um, and sorry he couldn't make it today. But um, we saw it in the real 3D, which is because I've seen enough in that process where I thought, yeah, it works for me. It doesn't give me a headache. I, I trust it. Uh-huh. Um, is it actually showing on an IMAX screen anywhere nearby, or is it- well here we've got the you know like the AMC Mercado and the, that's you know, the those are the fake IMAX. IMAX, fake the IMAX. I- IMAX digital experience. I will assume that it's up at the um, Mercado, at the the uh, Sony, the oh, Metreon, Metreon, up in right. San Francisco, and I would assume that it's up out in the one in Livermore, which I can't remember what the name of that yeah. the cinema is, but. Uh, you know, avatars so taking that makes away. four different viewing experiences. Yeah, possibly, possibly. So, um, yeah, it was somewhat dis- just just a little underwhelming. Okay. And we had fun, and and certainly, you know, Johnny Depp is an interesting performance. I just don't get it. Yeah. 
Um, the woman, Mia Wasikowski, I think is her name, who's playing uh, Alice, is kind of an interesting look, kind of a newcomer. But she's got to look caught well, you know, like you can see the girl she was and the woman, woman that she she's supposed to be becoming. Uh-huh. And, you know, thought, okay, so good casting on that. Um, Crispin Glover is the name of hearts, only they call him Stain. And uh, he's really interesting in that. Uh, you know, he, I've heard that uh, Helena Bonham Carter is very good. She's everybody's good. I just don't. It, it just didn't add up to what I was hoping it would she be. She was she was credited with stealing the show. I suppose. Yeah. Okay. I've actually found a lot of, and it's not her fault. I found a lot of the character rather predictable. Okay. And the themes associated with the character really predictable. So it just, I just, I wanted something more fun than I got. And that's all I can say. And that, and, and, and it's just me. Well, what about a really fun movie, Derek? Oh no, this is all Chris. Chris saw Hot Tub, uh, Hot Tub Time Machine. Hot Tub Time Machine, with recurring cameos by Crispin Glover and Chevy Chase. Um, so the uh, shop here had some advanced screening passes for the movie. There was actually two screenings: one at Mercado, one at the uh, Century and Shoreline. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was actually very good. Um, not a full house for either of the showings. Well, there we're being horrible, by the way, by saying because they did not invite the press, so we're yes. sneaking Chris in, yes. who did the the time honored tradition of standing in line for two hours, right? Uh, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I was not able to be at that screening and sit in the front row and turn uh, you know, in the press section and turn around to Shop Boy and say, "Hey, sucker!" Uh, but <laughs> uh, which but, I've done yeah, another time honored tradition. Is, I did that to Anna at Get Smart. <laughs> hey, sucker. Been long for two hours. Look, I got a pass. Woo, walk right in. An hour and a half. Anyway, uh, but, but you weren't pregnant yeah. at the time, so that was okay. Exactly. Yeah. It, uh, it was actually a very funny movie. Um, I mean, the, the transition of the guys from, you know, 2006 or 2006, 2000, whatever year it takes place in, to 1986 does go over very well. Um, they don't really have an answer as to why uh, Clark Duke, the young nephew of John Cusack, doesn't just blink out of existence immediately, but they deal with it later because he is... Okay, yeah. don't, don't, don't spoil it. Yeah. But, but, but you would say... Lord yeah. knows I don't want Hot Tub Time Machine spoiled. Yeah. But at this point... Well, the movie's in the title. Well, hot Tub Time Machine. You know what you're getting. It's the sled, folks. I've got to say, that's such a brilliant title and a, you know, a brilliant concept to just go... I well, it's not like you're going to walk into that expecting Citizen Kane <laughs> from a title so yeah, bluntly well, stupid. Yeah. And I love I, I love dumb comedies like that. So you thought it was really funny. Yeah. I don't want to go too too in depth because it is three weeks away from opening. March twenty sixth. Yeah. So not three weeks. Well, there can't really go too in depth to no. Hot tub but time I just want you to say that you know you had a good time. Yeah. No, I'd say the famous one that's coming in June uh, called Grown Ups. Uh, uh, with oh, David, I'm gonna stamp David fail Spade, on that right Adam now. Sandler, Kevin James. I am branding uh, that fail. It's all of Adam Sandler's buddies doing a comedy about being men with arrested development problems. Uh, so I'm like, that was brilliant. So anyway, um, DC movie news quite a bit this week. They've announced that Green Lantern will be in 3D. <laughs> wow! It has begun filming. Why? Which is not that big a surprise, I suppose, because everything's going to be in 3D from now on. On NPR, they were saying yesterday that conversion is from There's been an alliance of uh, studio and theater owners to pay for conversion to 3D. 
which the only thing that ticks me off about that is, of course, that I, despite the fact the that despite the fact that I have five pairs of 3D glasses that are perfectly functional, they yes. won't let me actually bring my own right. glasses to the 3D theater. Right. All. It's on the no, heels of a of a of a somewhat squashed medical report that says indeed that actually 3D too much exposure to 3D film in one sitting is actually a health problem. Nice. Causes uh, causes focusing problems and headaches. So even despite that it's not as obvious, it's got long term effects. So there we go. Yes, that's right. 3D films. Not only do they cost three three dollars more, they cause cancer. So um, uh, they announced that the Flash is a green uh, go with Greg Berlanti as the director who uh, did uh, I think it was Everwood and. Uh, he worked on Gossip Girl, maybe? No, these uh, are both live action. Live action. Right. Uh, the Ryan Reynolds, Green Lantern, The Flash, no casting has been announced yet, but they're moving forward with, with, uh, the, with The Flash, by, directed by Greg Berlanti, who actually wrote the original draft of Green Lantern. Okay. So uh, kind of given that. And then uh, following up on our rumor uh, or our, our announcement a couple weeks ago that uh, Christopher Nolan was going to oversee Steel? was going to oversee The Man of Steel. Uh Apparently, rumor rumor is that they're actually going to give the director's chair to his brother, uh, who has been the screenwriter along with David Goyer on the other two Batman films and on Memento and uh, The Prestige. So okay. kind of a guy ready to step in, the younger Nolan brother, uh, who I think his name is Jonas. Therefore, we've got a not – a, not the Jonas brothers, but the brother Jonas – that's got to be confusing. Yeah, it's got to be. They get booked wrong all the time. I'll bet so. Yeah, so if you actually, well. What's the drum kit for? <laughs> I don't know. Um, and then last week we had, the, you and I had the opportunity to go to the world premiere screening of a film by someone near and dear to us. Changed my life. Did it? Yep. Well, yeah. Yeah. Because uh, <laughs> it was the first time you were film extra, right? I was uh, in the credits. Yeah, that's right. You were in the credits for uh, Lon Lopez. As were you. You were yes. higher in the credits than I was. As a a, a, a Lon Lopez joint, uh, Crackpot Comics, which was filmed here at Elusive Comics and Games. Yes. And we had an all-star premiere. Uh, everyone who was in the movie was there at, at the Blue Light Cinemas in Cupertino. And... And we, we, we're going to withhold our review for this for a while. Well, we, I think we used to have the conversation about it with Lon here. Yes. Definitely. Uh, but I just want to let people know, Lon's moving forward with this film. I put a trailer up a couple weeks ago, and uh, it, it was fun. And we had Joe Keating from Image Comics came to watch it, and that was cool. Sat with Anna. And uh, so it, it was awesome. And then apparently Joe uh, played video games all night, so in the after party. Right after he had, you want to get closer? It's kind of funny so this is at the after party? No, no, no. After the after We're putting the baby on the podcast. The baby's on the podcast. <laughs> baby drinking a bottle on the podcast. Um, actually, got, this is Anna Warren. We've got a drunk baby Sebrian. on the... Anna Sebrian <laughs> Warren. Warren Sebrian? Anna Warren Sebrian. Um, right after, at 9 o'clock, he was... And now he's not drinking because he's too overwhelmed. Um, he had an interview on KGO 980. Or 980? No, 8, 890. KGO. <laughs> 560? I don't know. That's KCBS. Anyway, go ahead. And um, they were interviewing him about the comic that sold for a million dollars as just well as comics as well. Right. The most hilarious thing is that the lead up, the story right before they finish, is a huge argument about abortion. And then they do a news wrap up that covered rape and earthquakes. (laughs) 
And then for an hour, right Action Comics number one sells for a million dollars. And I have to say, and Detective Twenty Seven sold for a million twenty-seven. And in the first five minutes, uh, Joe was able to talk about how Superman and Batman are very important. They're um, icons, you know, U.S. icons. They've been on underoos. Within five minutes of starting the conversation, he got the word underoos in there. Uh, nice job. Yes, nice job, Joe Keating. We like Joe. We'd like to have Joe come back down and be on the podcast. We really should have him come down. We won't have anyone fall on I him. I can email time. him. Well, I could too. Well, he's got a new job now. I know. He got a promotion this week. Yes. Side motion. But, well, we'll call it a promotion. Anyway, so, yeah. Uh, so maybe we'll talk further. Let's uh, let's go to uh, television then, because we were going to do Oscar predictions. But you know what? I don't think we even have time for Oscar because you're hungry. Uh, we're, we're we're running long. Yeah. Right it's okay because we're coming up for air for the first time in a couple of weeks. Yep. Uh, TV just to say some. Genre. Let's do best picture. Okay, uh, but let's talk. Well, we'll start with Oscar predictions because it's on TV. What do you think? Best picture. Let's see. Run Ready? them down. Pull it around here. Avatar, The Blind Side, District 9, and Education, The Hurt Locker, Inglorious Bastards. Uh, Precious, based on the novel Push, which is an, by Sapphire, an awkward title. A Serious Man, Up and Up in the Air. You know, I think this Up and Up in the Air are going to split because everyone's going to get confused. confused. Yeah. Absolutely. So, um, I'm one going, had George Clooney, one had... Uh, that old guy. And <laughs> as, much, as much as there's been a lot Edward of... Edward Asner. Ed Asner. <laughs> Abe Vigoda. Yes. No, not Abe Vigoda. <laughs> I'm sorry that they weren't able to work him into saying something like Mary in, at yeah. some point during the movie. Yeah. Um, and everyone keeps talking about Avatar, you know, the whole, you know, mm. Cameron uh, Titanic thing. And, uh, and so now here he is again with the bigger movie and it's going to take it on. I'm actually expecting the Hurt Locker is going to walk away with this one. I'm going to say I actually think there will be a split. Okay. And I know where I'm going to venture out. I believe that Catherine Bigelow will get the Oscar for Best Director. Okay. But I do think they're going to give the Oscar for Best Picture to Avatar. You think so? That's, for me, that is wrong. I understand that, but the Oscars are often about wrong. Being wrong. But yeah. even even in this case, you Oscar is usually wrong because the Academy decides to give it to someone that they feel deserves it and so much of avatar involves no one right other than james cameron having uh, of the films i've seen i would and i haven't seen all of them um but i would agree with you uh that the hurt locker is the best of the ones that i've seen mm -hmm. yeah to be fair i have not yet seen uh an education i have not yet seen actually i think i'm going to watch that tonight uh, i've not yet seen a serious man precious or up in the air uh Precious camp. Precious camp. It's like a uh, reality show that. Anyway. But the girl who they gave it to calories. was the one who had no problems speaking clearly. She had this, this valley accent. Yeah. And you know, it's not a super Southern California, and and she's the one that they. Yeah. Had. Yeah. So I haven't seen that yet, uh, but. Uh, so, uh, other thing I say, The Hurt Locker is is the best film. Mm -hmm. I just think my thing with Avatar is that it is so incredibly huge. Although, the thing I'd also say is, to Cameron's credit, he uh, actually has gone on record saying that he thinks The Hurt Locker should win. Yeah. And and why not? Because he was married to Catherine Bigelow for a yeah. couple of years. So, uh, you know, left her for Linda Hamilton, I think. Um and this, that's old gossip, but it's interesting, you know, just it's kind of – I think this is the first time that X 
ex-married couple have been competing with each other in in this. And it's not like the movie needs an Oscar on it to get people to go see it. Right. That's true. But Titanic didn't either, and they gave it to Titanic. That's true, too. But Titanic was a a fuller, richer movie, in my opinion. You think so? I think so. I mean, as I enjoyed the visual effects of. I think of it. yeah, Avatar was spectacle, and and um, but it really didn't take me to some place I believed. Yeah. Whereas I really believed, like I was looking oh, at ten minutes in the Hurt Locker, and you're just like, I just wanted to go out and find a vet and hug him, uh-huh. which would have probably gotten me arrested. But uh, you know, but or just make some acknowledgement to do something to say, we ask our men to do things that would that should. Drive them crazy. Uh-huh. And I'm not exaggerating to say it. It is so frightening. The pressure these guys are under. And I say, I shouldn't say give them a hug. I say, how about don't cut their uh, VA funding? Yeah. Um, and because show you, them some watch, respect. you watch this movie, show them some respect. Whether you agree with whether we, we're, we're in there for the right reasons or not. Right. They're in there for the right reasons. They're, they are. We may not be in there for the right reasons. But they are. And absolutely. Um, and that movie really brought. Which I've all, I already thought, but there, but there are scenes in there where I'm just like, oh my gosh, really? They have to deal. Oh my god! And you know, so uh, certainly a movie that's that's staying with me a lot more than Avatar. There are other people in this country who are having difficulty withdrawing from Pandora, but that's because you know what? Hurt Locker's showing you how crappy it really is here. Yeah. <laughs> so um, that's the more powerful film. You know, and so, so what, what else? What else we got on TV? Just wanted to say that uh, we got some renewals in genre. Chuck has been renewed. Smallville's yeah. coming back for a tenth season. Please let him put. Are you, are on the you red caught and up blue. on Chuck yet? Chuck, yes, I am okay, caught good. up on Chuck. Chuck's been really. splendid. It's been splendid. It's a fun. fun I like show. what they're doing with it. I like the new conflict in the episodes. And, and I, Shop Boy told us that uh, Eureka, Eureka, and, and Warehouse 13. Thirteen were renewed as well. So. Uh, Sounds like Heroes isn't coming back, but I haven't watched that in a year and a half, so I don't care. Yeah. But maybe someone else does. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I just want to do a couple DVD catch-ups. You know, I missed somehow talking about Moon. Did you see Moon? I did. What did you think? I thought it was a splendid, low-budget science fiction movie. I did, too. I really enjoyed that. And I, I Directed that, by the uh, son of David Bowie. Sam Rockwell. Bowie. Uh, yes. Sam Rockwell just uh, must have been a tremendously hard thing to do to play that role play off of him as well. I mean you do not part of the conceit of Moon is that you have the character twice yes he's, okay? he's, without saying too much right. about it because we don't want to do too much and so he has to talk to himself and mm-hmm. he has to react to what he's saying and it is so seamless there is not a point in the movie where that breaks down no it's a great acting job it's a great thoughtful science fiction piece yeah with actually something to say about society which is what science fiction movies used to do i like kevin uh, spacey kevin yeah. <laughs> <laughs> was disturbing i the only thing that I was disturbing about was the 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 computer intelligence that he is supposed to be representing keeps using such primitive emoticons yeah and it's like really what but it's part of the budget right you know? i mean it's right. really a function of budget and they talked about the the screen and the, did you watch the uh, i haven't watched the all the extras stuff, yeah. but i i did watch the short film that was included whistle 
I didn't watch that. Oh, you should watch that. Okay. A really good little character piece. And I'm looking forward to that guy's next work. I yeah. think, uh, you know, it was an interesting movie. So uh, I've also got Halo Legends came out. We just kind of, like, bleeped over that. We had sh- I ran a couple of interviews on Fanboy Planet. Oddly for, enough, for I'm it. a big Halo fan, but none of the fiction has paid off for me. Okay. But All have right. you seen Halo Legends yet? No, I've not. And, of course, it's it's doing it with anime studios and so I have mixed yeah. emotions about that although I really enjoyed the Animatrix so I'm thinking maybe I, I enjoyed the Animatrix I did not enjoy the Batman anime yeah. Gotham book Knight. Gotham, Gotham Knight. Knight and so I'm like yeah and coming back to Blu-ray with uh-huh. absolutely no extras whatsoever <laughs> the never ending story <sighs> you know we I, I, I love the original book <laughs> <laughs> I've never read the original book, and this is what I'm hearing from a lot of people. I picked up the original book when it first came out mm-hmm. purely because I'm a fan of typography. And the book is written written Wait, entirely. Can I just pause? How did you reproduce? It's it's his DS Alcoda. That's a music joke. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> the the book is <laughs> no, printed. No, that's not the thing. Uh, that's not what it means by being the never-ending story. What does it say? I don't know. What does it say? I don't know. Don't, he I doesn't don't remember. remember. You bought the book. He only, uh, he only like, looked at the topography. It's like 20 years ago. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It was, it, it's printed. And in, she seems like such a normal person, your wife. How did that? <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going, there were two books like this. Um, the, the, um, and, it's and right now, if my wife because, is listening, she's going, well, how did you reproduce? You know, but so, because, of this, because of this, I have a first edition of NeverEnding Story in hardback. Wow. So That's good. it was originally printed in red and green ink, depending on where you were. And uh, I didn't – I bought it purely because of that because I'm a book I'm a book binding and book production fan and stuff. So um, yes. I am. I know. I have been to your house. I've been to the Brett Cave. Yes. So and the, the other the other thing was no, no never mind I don't need to go there we <laughs> no, should get go going but uh, yeah it's coming out I, I showed it to to my almost six year old and uh, he was really great the downside to if you decide if you have fond memories of this eighties film <laughs> and you're an adult be careful you may spoil your fond memories I did not really so things blur over time uh, blur over time uh, I experienced my first Blu-ray glitch oh. And that on my computer it plays just fine, but on the Blu-ray player, which uh, my in-laws gave gave us, uh, was their old like first-generation Blu-ray player. Uh-huh. It actually had a digital stripe down the left-hand side, so yeah. I don't know if it's a firmware problem, which they warn you, but it's, I've never actually experienced that Does before. Does the thing have an internet connection on it? I'm going to look at that the next chance, yeah, I, they, I, they chance do, I get. They do upgrade the firmware over there. Yeah, mm-hmm. so um, that was interesting to note that. But the, the thing I did not anticipate is that the theme song by Lamal um, is a horrific earworm that I did not recall. So I watched The NeverEnding Story at 1 p.m. And from 1 p.m. to 8 p.m., a five-year-old was singing alternately The NeverEnding Story or... The story doesn't end. <laughs> he couldn't quite remember what the title was. Over and over and over again. Because nothing else about the song is actually memorable, but my God, what an amazing hook that song has. So be warned. 
<laughs> it is still a decent children's movie, decent, with a definitely important message that no small child will actually understand. You know, I suspect there are people listening right now who remember the music and don't have to ha- go back and listen to it. You've just reawoken it in their, <laughs> their race memory. <laughs> I'm coming for your soul, Lon. Um, what happened to use your powers only for good? We'll get to that. Oh, yeah, I'm a hypocrite. Okay, uh, so that's what we got going for now. Uh, I think that's pretty much it. We, we are, we're getting hungry because we st- yeah. started with this with the intention of eating lunch afterwards, and it's like, <laughs> uh, well, and yeah, certainly and certainly, young Frampton here, he got to eat, and now we're jealous. So, he's an hour and a half late for Oh, jeez, but he's happy about it. Look at that baby. All right, so anyway, um, we're, the next generation of fanboy is sitting here and about to be burped. Looks a little like Lawn after he's eaten. <laughs> And is there something you're not telling us? No, no. I, I, I want to be different. There is a brighter expression on that baby's face. Oh, okay. uh, so, because um, I've seen Lon after, it's just like, oh, it's more like Jabba the Hutt just having eaten a slave girl. Oh, my God. And, oh, <laughs> so, oh, so, oh, so, I know. A whole lot of cuts today. Oh, that's so wrong. I may not cut that out. <laughs> You know, though, Lon's been working out. He could kick my butt. Um, so, anyway, uh, if you've got any questions, comments, comments, you would like to defend Lon, please write in to editor at fanboyplanet.com or sandpaper at fanboyplanet.com. Uh, I'm Derek McCaw, editor-in-chief. I'm Chris the Shop Boy. And I'm Rick Brett Snyder reminding you to use your powers only for good. Why are you looking at me? Because <laughs> you're not saying anything. <laughs> and thanks once again to the great Luke Ski for use of his music in this podcast. Visit Luke Ski at www.lukeski.com. But you have them all, or it's not, you know, or you've seen them all, so it doesn't really matter. Yeah, the, the that stuff I'm not interested. In. I, I've never seen Mercy, Mercy Reef before, so I'll leave the hopefully the now was yeah, which is now titled Aquaman. They, they're not calling it Mercy Reef. What they do, what uh, Netflix does, is when you get a movie, if it's a now is this is the Blu-ray a one Blu-ray set? Yeah. Okay, then everything will be on it. Because sometimes I get. I get a just the main disc on a multi-disc thing, and so you never see any of the additional SpongeBob DVD. Yeah, Tom Kenny. I heard Tom Kenny interviewed uh, about. He does so many voices on the Marvel Super Squad. Yeah. I watched that show, and it's actually not bad. No, we, can, we will laugh at it. I can sit through it and enjoy it. Supposedly, they're building up to a big finish ending yeah, for the season. Yeah. And, no, oh yeah, the Galactus they, uh, gets the Fantastic Four get called in to consult. 
on how to deal with the, to do all the background on Galactus for them. What I enjoy about it is that they make references and joke that you know uh, a kid might not get, but a big comic yeah. would. We've talked, yeah, we've talked about that. Did, did these ever? Did these come into the store? Yeah. How long ago? Uh, they all came out last week. Last week. All okay, so we can talk time. about them. Okay. Yeah. So they sent the movie we gonna be sending to me, and unfortunately, I didn't get it till the end, till the last weekend. So I didn't really. Um, so this that movie came out though, right? Yeah, that movie yeah. came out last weekend. Okay. And the four issues, um, wait, what was I going to say, throw in there, that, um, so these fill in like the backstories of characters that just sort of show up being crazy in the movie. Uh, so they assigned them to four different, different horror writers. Uh-huh. Who are the writers? Um, Ivan Brandon, Brian, Brian Reed, I think is the guy who was writing Ms. Marvel. Okay. Um, Joshua Hale Fialkov, who wrote Elk's Run, which was, was great. Who was the third one? And uh, Mark Andreco, hmm. who wrote, writes um, created Manhunter for DC, the Kate Spencer, the DA one. So th- these two are the best. I did not particularly enjoy these two. But, okay. um, but these two are good. Cool. That's we're talking, because this is what I think a movie tie-in cartoon, a comic book should do. Fill in. Kind of like us, what, uh, what is the bo- uh, Jennifer's Body did. Yeah. 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 Okay, so Oscar predictions. Is there anything else newsworthy? You got a full sheet there. I got a full sheet. I'm good. They are, and they're Betty Boop. Okay, well, I'm keeping the underdog lunchbox. You can have the underdog lunchbox after we talk about what's inside. Oh, yeah, my Star Wars mini heads. Yeah, look at this. Look at this tiny Yoda. Someone's cleaning out your attic. Look at this tiny Yoda. Where's my bubble? Where's my bubble? That's all of them. Have a good day, guys. Thank you. I got that one. Oh, 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 oh. Oh, oh. Greedo. Okay, and unfortunately, I was going to be able to say from a distance, even wearing my contact lens, was that Bib Fortuna? It was. And I'm horrified that I know that. Uh, yeah. Cantina Band. Cantina Band, but he has a name. He has a name, Rick. Well, they all have names, <laughs> I Derek. I remember what they are. And I've just, I've kept myself this close to trying to learn any of them. <laughs> when you can look them, I can look them up if I need them. Uh, Bib Fontana. What is it? Oh, shop boy. It's a vintage Disney wind-up toy, dude. What you, Disney character is that, Chris? It's the car from uh, uh, Frame Broderick Rabbit, isn't it? No. No? What is it? It's a Burger King toy from the 90s that's just a funny little car with Mickey and Minnie in it. Shop boy, shop just, boy toss it over here. You just leave it on the Toss counter. it over here. I have it's a small like child. child. What? Are you worried about the place becoming cluttered? No, I just... I'm a Disney fanatic. <laughs> so then why are you... Just put it on the counter. Just leave it there for people to play with. To spread joy. And then somebody will say, that, I've been looking for that for years. Here's $500. And you say, it'll cost you six. All right. Okay. 
Shop boy, you upset me. Um, no, I'm pretty good now that I have my Star Wars Mighty Max thing. You are so upset I didn't Well, they're not. They're not in their original packaging. They're probably not bring the mic up. I realize that's. This Jawa has no case. I found this Jawa doesn't have a body. I found them for fifty bucks a pop out of the packaging for Bridgeway. So I think you're making that up. I, according to eBay, don't ask me. Well, someone's selling it. Well, are they getting that price? <sighs> oh, the uh, Green Hornet, Green Lantern, Green Hornet. Last week, did you read it? No. Did you? Yes. Okay. Good. That's right, because Steve uh, said he's going to put that in your box. The Kevin Smith. He put the wrong one in there. I wanted the one with the really slinky-looking Cato kicking one, but I don't have that anymore. Did you specify you wanted that one? Steve should just know. Steve should just know. Steve and I have a relationship that goes back almost as far as, well, not quite as far as the relationship I have with my wife. Are you recording right now? Because I really think that should be in the outtakes. (laughs) In our sad romantic section. (laughs) Okay. All right. So, Clone Saga, First Wave, Clone Saga, oh, the Clone Saga comic? Hmm. No, yours, the, the the Spider-Man thing. You just finished oh, reading Robert, Clone Saga. Sorry, I, last, last night I saw Not Clone Wars. Not, not Clone yes, Wars. Yes, yes, Clone, yes, Saga. Clone Saga. You can comment on the rewrite. I will. Okay. Crafted Justice. Puffy and Product. Good. Okay. So, uh, and here he is. Yeah. I'm not even trying to do a lot. Don't. I won't. I'm Don't. Good. I want people to know. Myself. I want from the very beginning people to know something's different. Something's about different. This week. It's Saturday. Lon's playing football. Yeah. He's he's lugging the cones. No, it's 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 take your child to work day, and Lon's <laughs> looking to see which one of his many he should uh, take responsibility for. I think and you should go with that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <clears throat> Since that air traffic controller thing this week was revealed, it's been a little bit. <laughs> What? There was an air traffic controller, and he took his child to work, and he let the kid call. <laughs> and is he still so he's been suspended? What? Yes. <laughs> okay. yes, he's suspended, and his supervisor has been suspended because they apparently both. Walk. Nothing happened, and apparently even the pilots realized. Of course, there's a kid calling it, and it's fun, and but it's still like right. You know, you've got to set an example. What's the level of the job where, there is, where you have to say, right. no, we can't play no, around with it? You have to send a message that, no, we do not play screw around, around with air Airplanes. traffic control. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, because I, I, which is an odd thing to say. Did, yeah. did you see it? Did no, you I remember didn't. It, I think it's very mis- – Give me a day. I'll get it open. Okay, we're back. I just ran out of power. I mean, I ran out of space on the recorder. That's okay. I've got some tremendously large things I have to pull off of this. <laughs> right. Okay, so I don't know how to sell Jennifer's body. That's where we were. Okay. So so we're back after a minor technical glitch. Okay. We so were talking about you know, basically Jen- selling Jennifer's body. Yeah, and, and it, it, was a, it was a largely misunderstood movie in a genre that even though it's uh, – girls apparently go – Uh, oh, with David, I'm gonna stamp David fail Spade, on that right Adam now. Sandler, Kevin James. I am branding uh, that fail. It's all of Adam Sandler's buddies doing a comedy about being men with arrested development problems. <laughs> uh, so I'm like, that was brilliant. So anyway, 
Pause. No, I do. He runs the screenings. That's why I thought I thought I want, Yeah. <laughs> he wouldn't give me a shirt. He runs screenings. Screenings where? At hey, yeah. how you doing, See? man? See? It's like we gotta pause for a second. I saw oh, yeah. it. It's like you walked in and everybody's like, wait, who is that guy? You know him? I'm like, well, yeah. I saw this but guy I'm, at Mercado. I'm puzzled because you're out of context. <laughs> you wore the movie shirt or anything? We were, I was like, no, you're, you're at the comic book shop. Yeah. We never see you here. We're, I was just talking about uh, seeing Hot Tub Time Machine, actually. Oh, okay. So, so good yeah. timing. Yeah. So the fourth time I enjoyed it again. Okay, <laughs> good. So they got me promoting some Indian movie. Or not Indian, uh, yeah, Korean. Uh, Mother. Yeah, yeah. So Bobby's got me hitting all these little Korean shops around here. Are you I'm sure? Like, well, because I've been told by Tim and Steve to not yeah. use those well, bags. There you go. This is where we, yeah, where I operate out of. So. I've been in and out of here a few times. But okay. So, yeah, Anna often has to so good. Cool. Bring your son by sometime. Buy cards too. Yeah. <laughs> I'm the one that does it. He, he collects comic books. Oh, well, then bring him here to buy comics. I have. Okay, good. Good. Where do you make your package? Package, you don't have. Why am I here? Ooh. Well, because I was doing a lot of people asking me to do okay. your order. Well, I thought Tusk or the non-sport. I collect a lot of that, and nobody carries that at all. Uh, we only get non-sport from Mark, yeah, basically. Yeah, we only get, like, one or two. Okay. Okay. Because we don't sell many sports cards here, so we don't have that. I'm just kind of looking because I pulled a uh, autograph Ken Griffey, one of 50 autograph I'm going to take this for a bathroom break. So, oh, my God, I see what that's worth. <laughs> we use the bathroom for we're running a little, little, little long. We I should know, I know. pick it up. Can this be the first baby diaper changed on the podcast? It will definitely be the first no, baby no, diaper changed. No, the take that outside. Uh, no. It's concrete. It's concrete. And when you're changing a baby diaper, always look for a good, clean patch of concrete and a hose. You just change the head on the hose to jet. My kids were that young, it would eat through concrete. Yeah. No, leaf blower. Lucky with leaf blower. I just no. Right on the verge. Oh. You'd be very good in that screen with having such a good diaper. Frampton doesn't want to be on the podcast. Ryan. Frampton. It's not recording. It is recording. Oh. If you hear Ryan. it, it's recording. Oh. It's just easier for me just to let it run. I'll cut I all this have, stuff out later. Now I'm going to make inappropriate comments about how sexy your baby is while you're taking off his diaper. Ooh. Let me bust out the singles. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I haven't had lunch yet. Is it 2 o'clock? It's already after 2 o'clock? It is. Oh, that's nice. Crayons. Um... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is Keith. That's not solid. No, it's, well, quote unquote, solid. I think it's going to be fun solid. Oh, my gosh, I... Right. You know, somebody should actually go into the Justice System and say that. You coming out next week, Danny? Uh, I still got to rehearse this week, but I'll, I'm hoping to assign some people. What we got going this week? I can't remember. We're doing Hot Tub Time Machine again at Mountain View. They haven't invited me yet. Okay. Press hasn't gotten gotten invites, which is. Oh, I think Bobby's doing that one. Then, uh, was that 
She's Not That Into You, I think it's Wednesday at Mercado, and mm -hmm. then Our Family Wedding or something is out at Eastridge on Thursday. Yeah, usually not our fan base for that kind of thing, so. But maybe uh, the, the She's Not That Into You could have bar, bar herself. Okay. She's like a good. She's Not That Into You. Yeah, it's kind of the, kind of the right geek. Uh, He's Just Not That Into You was pretty popular, surprisingly. The 18th, we have Bounty Hunter at Mercado. Oh, so okay. I've actually got tickets in the car if you want some for that. That'd be cute. Okay, we're right back. Jennifer Aniston. Jennifer Aniston and Jerry Butler. If he does screening, Tim, he can get tickets here, right? Jennifer Aniston. Well, he does. It, now he'll know that. Now he'll know that. Yeah, not she's not just a, she's out of your league. That was the that's the one. Okay. All right, and that is one clean diaper changed on the podcast. We weren't recording. Yeah, we were. Why are you doing for the outtakes? <laughs> it's just easier to leave it, Ron. Literally, here's the crap we <laughs> didn't want to put into the main podcast. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, so we'll go back in. Okay, we got Hot Tub Time Machine, and here's, here's some news. Um, DC movie news, quite a bit this week. They've announced that Green Lantern will be in 3D. <laughs> wow. It has begun filming. Why? Which is not that big a surprise, I suppose, because everything's going to be in 3D from now on. On 